Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. How are you doing tonight, Matt? Uh, I am out of breath from playing a flute and running away from trains. That's that's how I'm doing, Lyndon. I, I'm a little short on breath. I'm a little short on patience. I'm a little, uh, you know, I'm here, but I'm drinking margaritas. I'm drinking because it's National Margarita Day, Lyndon. Well, that's yeah. nice. It is National Margarita Day. And I don't want to get too much ahead of the whole we substituted whiskey bit for tequila bit again this week. But yeah, you know, it's a it's a holiday always worth observing. Uh, we're big fans in this household. And uh, the drink maestro himself threw a little something together. That's me. For the occasion. That is Matt. So uh, anywho, uh, it's it's good times over here. And uh, I, I stole a little sip before we actually get to that part of the show and can confirm it's delicious. So yeah. Um, but you know, uh, we're not here to talk about margaritas. We will do that here in just a little bit, but, uh, this is a Zelda podcast. We're here to talk about Zelda. What might be our favorite Zelda game of all time, right, Matt, at this point in the game, I I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) You seem like such a happy man though. Wouldn't go that far. No. Well, well, here to answer the eternal question of is Spirit Tracks the greatest Zelda game of all time uh, is our guest of the evening. That is Josh from Zelda Universe. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing well. And the answer is no. Hi, everyone. Uh, cool. All right. Been a good show, everyone. Glad we covered that. And we're done. We can wrap the season. Congratulations. May well your hearts done. be full. May your arrows never miss. Um, yeah. Oh, geez. I'm glad to hear you're having just as good a time with this game as we are, Josh. Um, I think you might actually even be having a worse time with it than I am, to be completely honest, just based on the conversation we had uh, before we started recording. But, uh, you know, before we get into talking about Spirit Tracks and your history with it and how much you historically have enjoyed it how you doing oh i'm doing just fine there's lots of cool games coming out i just finished playing Arzet, spiritual successor to zelda cdi so there's big games happening i already missed a few this year that i want to play eventually so yeah i love that generally good times (laughs) i love that you're categorizing a spiritual successor to zelda cdi as a quote big game Oh, yeah. Like, there's lots of us at Zelda Universe that were quite excited about it from the moment it was announced because we're kind of CDI apologists a little bit. Uh, and, uh, or maybe a lot of it. <laughs> We've dedicated multiple months on the site to covering them. I mean, would you, uh, would you make the argument that those are actually good games? Because, like, I've got to confess, I, I, I don't even have the first, aside from the titles of the games, um, and like one or two memes, I don't have the slightest knowledge whatsoever of what kinds of games they are, how they work, if they're actually huge piles of garbage, like any of that. 
So, like, uh, I haven't actually played them myself. Uh, I do own I own the two more notorious ones. Um, the two that everyone knows, Faces of Evil and Wand of Gamelon, are side-scrolling action platformers. Uh, so, kind of like, what if Zelda 2 was stage-based? Um, and... Uh, they're like there's a there's like still shops and a town and characters and various things you have to do like I think you have to actually kind of go back to the same places um, over and over to solve things so there's a, maybe a little bit of Metroidvania in there um, they are not actually good games uh, some of that is because the Philips CDI is just not a good piece of hardware the controller is actual garbage um, just barely works. Um, and that's maybe the biggest problems with the games, uh, is that the controls just don't do what you want them to ever. Um, the third CDI game that people know, no one ever talks about really is Zelda's Adventure, which took out the funny cartoon animated silly things and instead put in like live action folks in cosplay. Uh, that one's more of a traditional top-down Zelda game. It's just a an extremely mediocre one. <laughs> maybe, maybe aggressively mediocre. <laughs> like that's the one where some people will tell you it's the best of the CDI games because it actually plays like most Zelda games do, and you know it just still has clunky controls and weird hitboxes. Um, but as otherwise, yeah, but is it better you know, than Spirit Tracks? Uh, well, I haven't actually played it, and Spirit Tracks is only worth a hundred dollars, and Zelda's Adventure is worth five hundred. So, holy shit, are you serious? <laughs> yes. Whoa. So, if we're going based on value, Zelda's Adventure is the best Zelda game. <laughs> uh, that's the only Zelda game I do not own. <laughs> Um, you didn't feel like shelling out for a copy of Zelda's Adventure? I, I didn't, but I've also never actually seen a copy. So, I mean, I could go online and buy one, but I've never actually seen one. But no, like the games, they're, the two that people talk about are just little side-scrollers. Uh, a fan remade them a few years ago, uh, and the remakes apparently are pretty playable because you don't have to play them with a CDI controller. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> and that same person is the one that led up Arzette to remake it. And so Arzette is an actual good game. It still has the it still has the terrible slash awesome cutscenes in the same style. It's very authentic. Yeah, but they're but they're ironic in this case, right? Right. And a lot of there's lots of yeah. little references that you only get if you know the Zelda games, at least the meme part. Uh and uh but the actual gameplay is it's still a retro platformer so it's simple but it's uh plays smoothly and i thought it was a very okay. good little 5 hour game <laughs> so ooh yeah that's a, a that's a tasty little morsel of a game i i appreciate the thought of something i could beat in 5 hours did you hours. just call it a tasty morsel yes yes hmm yeah like i finished uh, it in 5 hours with more than half of the collectibles if i wanted to go back i could just Go find the rest of the secrets. Probably another hour or two of game there. There's a hard mode you unlock that you can play again. So I'm sure I'll revisit it because it's just a fun little Saturday afternoon game. 
Yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't really sound like it's putting you out in any major way, so why wouldn't you? Um, so that's awesome. I mean, glad to hear that there's lots of stuff coming out that you're excited for. Was there anything in the uh, in the partner showcase? So last week we were talking to Cody about, you know, Nintendo Direct speculation. Is it happening or is it not happening? And um, it turns out that it is both happening and not happening. It, it was a Nintendo Direct, but it was a partner showcase, not the not the the big enchilada, right? Um, but regardless of that, still some cool news wrapped up in there, and I'm, I'm curious if there was anything that was speaking to you specifically. Uh, yes, it's a uh, you know it's a little bit hard. There was it, I thought it was a pretty good showing overall. Like I, I like to describe myself as just a video game enthusiast. Like there's a lot of games that I appreciate exist, but I'm just too busy and will never play them. But I still really think they're cool. And someday, if I could get around to it, I'd play them. So there wasn't necessarily tons of stuff in it that wasn't already announced that I am going to rush out and buy day one. Um, but I mean, they had trailers for things that I'm excited about. They dropped a demo for Unicorn Overlord, which is the game I am most looking forward to. Um, and uh, But there was a little cute little puzzle game where the whole world shifted every time you moved. A little... That one looked really neat. I, can't, I hate that I can't think of what it's called because it had like a really plain name. It was like a ranger, maybe. Uh, and uh, like Endless Ocean is just kind of a vibes game. It's like, oh, you're under the ocean. There's lots of fish and go find neat is stuff. Is it like Journey you know? vibes or like, like Abzu else? kind of thing? No, it... Uh, it's just it's just an exploration game, right? So it's like if you're into the if you're into the deep sea ocean, you know, it's just kind of cool for that and it's like not super my thing, but it's neat. I'm surprised they made a sequel after like 15 years. Uh, Epic Mickey is apparently a pretty solid game also. Cool that it's getting a remake. Uh we had a couple Microsoft first party games in there coming to Switch. All those new yeah, rare CFPs, classic right? titles. <laughs> See if Thieves actually never got announced. <laughs> uh, Am I completely making this up, or is I I, I could have sworn that I saw someone saying that Sea of Thieves was coming to oh, Switch. Oh, you know what? Maybe it was that. actually announced. It just wasn't announced in the Partner Direct. Um, no, they announced Pentiment and Grounded coming to Switch. Gotcha. And then oh, I think cool. after the fact said Hi-Fi Rush is going to PS5, and then maybe Sea of Thieves is maybe coming to both, maybe just coming to PS5. I don't remember. Gotcha. But Yeah. yeah. Uh, the big the big ticket item for me was, um, you know, the latest in a long series of Star Wars game remasters, right? Battlefront um, 1 or 2, yeah, baby! So Battlefront 1 and 2, which uh, listener, longtime listeners of the pod will remember, uh, Battlefront 2 was the flashpoint around which Matt's and my greatest argument of all time uh, was situated. So, uh, yeah, that that game has a deep history in the Willoughby household. Can't wait to <laughs> can't wait to pick it up and get back into it. It lives in infamy. It does. No, I, I love those games. Uh, I never actually explored all their features back in the day. I kind of got I don't even remember what the mode was called. I just found one mode in the game I really loved, and that's basically the only mode I played. <laughs> was it Galactic Conquest? Uh, I don't think so. I feel like it was kind of just free play. Like I just went into a map. Killed everyone, took over all the bases, and I won. And I just learned the best for the fastest ways to do it. It was weird. Uh, but I had a lot of fun playing that on PS2. Um, yeah, and then uh, I bought it on Conquest Steam and never like played a, it. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, in fairness, who, who among us does not have 
a giant pile of games, either digital or physical, that they bought and never actually. Sure, I mean, to, what? So. How do you pass up Battlefront Two for like fifty cents? I mean, <laughs> come yeah, on. Exactly. Honestly, you're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, which yeah, maybe is the for, biggest for, problem with the remaster. Also, is like, why should I spend thirty dollars on this one when it's like fifty cents on Steam? <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say fifty cents is like worth it just for the the thought security that you have that you might one day want to play the game and now you have it available. So um no Galactic Conquest is such a fun mode in that game. That's but that's also like a six, maybe seven hour ordeal if you like if you really get into it, which Matt Matt and I did every now and again. So <laughs> um you know. It's again, great, flashpoint games. of greatest argument ever. Yeah. And then of course we have the the Pokemon showcase coming up on the horizon too. Um which is the one that I'm actually excited about because uh, I'm a let's the, go silver and gold. Yeah. Hopefully. The gold and silver apologist in me is desperately hoping that something adjacent to those games pops up in there, which uh, that's kind of in the water right now. That's, that is a rumor. Uh, I, I know too much at this point about the Pokemon Nintendo rumor mill to like allow that to give me any kind of legitimate hope, but uh, you know, I like I feel like what well, the thing I like I'm a big retro player right I use those I use the NSO apps like all the time uh so I I'd love to see red blue yeah I mean I'd love to see gold and silver on the Game Boy thing but they're going to do red and blue first <laughs> so if they did that that would be I'd be set you got to believe it's going to happen at some point so uh, sure why yeah. it hasn't happened yet is that's completely down to Nintendo Logic TM. I mean, hopefully the reason is because they've decided not to make the whole retro game library reset every five years. And they know that once they put it out, it's just out forever. And this is the last time. So I'll give them that benefit if they're actually not going to take it away from me when the Switch 3 comes out or the Switch 2 or whatever. They're just going to let me have it. Then I'll wait. Yeah. For sure. But obviously, well, you know, whatever news comes out of that, we'll catch up on probably uh, what is that's the 27th. So not next episode, but the one after that will probably if anything worthwhile happens at all, we'll, we'll probably talk about it. But uh, uh, but what we are here to talk about tonight is the Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks. And so uh, since this is your first appearance on the season, I'm going to not forget to do for you what I did forget to do for Cody last week and ask you. Josh, what is your history with Spirit Tracks? When did you first play it? How much do you like it? Uh, and where do you rank it amongst other Zelda games? Uh, being a Zelda ranksman, as I know you are. Uh, so I played it the day it came out. Um, I recall... I, I There has never been a time when a brand new Zelda game came out and I didn't just love it when I played it. Right? You know, it's always exciting. It's brand new. It's a whole new adventure. You don't know what's going to happen, right? Um, every time I have replayed it since then, I feel like I almost universally like it less. <laughs> now that I, and now I've reached a point where I have finished, I finished it at least three times, maybe as much as many as five times. Uh, and now I know what to expect. And so then I just get to points and I'm just like, I know what's coming and I don't want to do it. Um, I, a couple years ago, streamed it from the Wii U. That was a mistake. <laughs> uh, the If you think your 3DS microphone is struggling, the Wii U gamepad was not designed for this. 
And, I don't uh, like anything about the way that that sounds. Um, I that almost sounds like had to quit the game very, very late in the game. I don't want to say too much to spoil how it ends or anything for you or at what point I struggled. But um, there was a point where I could almost not play the song and that I needed to play. And I was like, I'm just going to have to give up. <laughs> I'm passing out <laughs> trying to blow into this stupid microphone. <laughs> and <laughs> you're you're filling me with excitement for the late game spirit tracks. Like, so I did finish it. I ma- I managed to make it work on like my my last attempt of just like composing myself and giving it one more go and I got my way through the game, but there was a point where I was just like I don't know if I can do this. Um uh, you know, overall, I think when we talked to Phantom Hourglass, I gave a lot of history about DS and is like I still I actually like the touchscreen part. I don't have a problem with that part in particular. Um, don't really care for the train. Not because, Well, I don't care for the train because it's a train, only because the way trains work is they are on rails. If they gave me sure. a truck that looked like a train that I could just take wherever I wanted, cool, whatever. <laughs> but since it's on rails, I really don't like world traversal in this game. Um, yeah. I will say this week specifically, I, uh, I I definitely had one or two instances with the train where uh, – because you get you get one or two slightly more complex situations where you're trying to avoid uh, bomb trains and whatnot. And, uh, and, and so there were several times this week where I ended up going in long stretches in reverse, right? Because – like because you can't turn the train around and you're trying to get away from something, but it's like it's and it was so freaking obnoxious because you're going like half speed and I I hated it so much. I was just like, there's got to be like a better a better way to do this. I don't know. The answer is you have a boat instead of a train. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I think I've heard of that game before. Uh, <laughs> um, so. Um, to get to the final point here, this game, this Zelda game is at the bottom of my ranking. It is my least favorite Zelda game. I think it has some really cool redeeming qualities that I actually think are pretty neat. Uh, I do really like the setting of it in general of like 100 years after The Wind Waker. And y'all have already said repeatedly the music is great. You know, I love all the callbacks to like we'll talk Lineback and like Alfonso and Nico and... I even like some of the just weird little things like the Anuki and all of that is cool. Um, and, and like, as I, I also said, like, I, I don't mind the touch screen controls. I think generally they work, but I have no idea why they doubled down or quadrupled down on blowing into the microphone. Uh, and, and, talking into the microphone and the train traversal and just there's enough things here where i'm just like more than any other zelda game i don't really want to replay it that much um frankly there's a really good chance i'm probably not going to replay it past this point (laughs) right now So, yeah, bottom of my list. It went to the bottom of my list after I played it on the Wii U. Um, So far, my 3DS replay is not making me feel any different. (laughs) Yeah, well, and that's what I was going to say. Like, I mean, you said you've played it between three and five times, right? Let's let's average that out at four. Um, 
that's a very low number of replays for you, right? I mean, you're for for the most part, you're kind of your numbers are probably quite a bit higher on most other Zelda games, I would imagine. Yeah, like there are others that I've not played that many times, uh, like the Oracle games in in particular. Um, I actually maybe have played less, but I have grown to like them a little more in recent history. Yeah, they were they were at the bottom of my list, maybe until Spirit Tracks upset me uh and (laughs) i yeah i just oracle of seasons in particular for a while was at the bottom and it just grew on me and it's just now it's kind of in the middle like it grew on me a lot i when i finally went back and revisited it um so yeah there's just there's a handful of games maybe there's five or six Zelda games that i just don't get around to that much and Nice. Uh, well, we'll dub this. Uh, we'll dub this episode "Spirit Tracks Chapter 3, aka the Oracle Hype episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is well, well, this is possibly the most negative I might ever be on the show. <laughs> man, about, that prospect alone has me hyped out of my mind for this whole thing. Because usually so. I'm the no Zelda Two is actually really really good, <laughs> and uh, so yeah. Like I had, I had been possibly plotting to be on some other seasons specifically at points where I knew I didn't care for it to have this perspective, but I maybe wasn't expecting to be so down on spirit tracks either. What What's really nice about this is that like, so next week and the week after that, we've got two actual fans of this game lined up to come on it and talk about it. So we're going to have a little bit of a positive perspective uh, before we round the season out with Max Nichols, who I'm sure will shut the door on spirit tracks with a deep abyss of hatred. <laughs> uh, I am looking forward to that one very much. And then who knows what the detective will say when we have him on for the rank and recap that could go any way at all. No telling. <laughs> Absolutely no telling. So that's why we do this. It's a ton of fun. But thanks for catching us up on your history with Spirit Tracks, Josh. Um, we are going to go ahead and get into the episode, talk a bit more specifically about the chunk of game that we played this week. Before we do that, hey, Matt, you know what time it is? Uh, normally whiskey bit time, but I'm assuming we're uh, calling this margarita bit time. It's margarita bit, which means that we're, uh, we're I'm going to be cutting the mariachi music back into this episode. Which will give me great joy to do. Uh, but Matt, why don't you give us the rundown on our National Margarita Day selection that you prepared for us? Yeah, so I um, I like to experiment with drinks and just kind of, you know, have some fun. Uh, I had some leftover citrus fruit hanging out in the uh, vicinity of my house. So I, I decided <laughs> to... Uh, <laughs> it wasn't in your house. It was in the house. It was laying outside. <laughs> Well, it was given to me by your wife, who happens to be allergic to grapefruits. So I'm just imagining you walking out to your mailbox one day and be like, why is there grapefruit in here? <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, hey, this margarita is great, but you found these grapefruits just like on the sidewalk. Why yeah, did you bring like, them in? I, I don't know. I just I just did. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I 
I decided to mess around and make a make a fun margarita. So it's uh, one large shot tequila. So I'm using a, a double sided jigger, which has a two ounce and then a, a one and a half ounce. Or uh, I think yeah, I think it's a one and a half ounce. No, it's just a one ounce. It's one and a half ounces and one ounce. There it is. So it's one and a half ounce tequila, uh, one ounce mezcal. Um, at mezcal gives it a nice smoky flavor, uh, and then two juiced limes three quarters ounce of agave and a quarter of a grapefruit all squeezed in mixed together uh optional toppers of course like tahine or uh salt uh i actually like to throw in some egg white into my margarita to get it nice and smooth and frothy and uh i don't know i think it adds a fun texture to a margarita a a trick that we learned from uh jackson willoughby making his whiskey sours exactly so uh it's it's a lot of fun it's nice and tart if you like tart drinks this one's for you so uh yeah it's it's very delicious yeah, can co-sign, absolutely delicious. And the tequila that we're using in this one is uh, Insolito Blanco tequila, which uh, I've had Insolito, Reposado, and Añejo quite a lot. Um, I like the Añejo for sipping. I like the Reposado for mixing ranch waters, stuff like yep. that. Um, the Blanco makes a very good margarita. I, I agree. So Cheers. Cheers to National Margarita Day. Mm, bonk. bonk. Going to try and clink those glasses not directly over my laptop. Yeah, bad margaritas get sticky. You don't want that in your uh, in your computer workings. You truly do not. Mm, man, that's good. That's right. so, so, so good. Delicious. Okay. All right. Well, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the housekeeping and then talk about what we played this week. <sighs> if you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday. And is available on all major podcast networks. Every week we play a new section of a Zelda game, and then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to our Discord channel, listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and much more. Additionally, one of the benefits that Master Sword patrons and above get is that we read their names every week here on the show. Those legendary individuals are Freddy, Brandon, Shryquill, Joseph, Nintendo, Adam, Sakura Sky, Art, Jeremy, Dante2, Tom, Andy, Billy, Connor, Rachel, Shepherd Street, Matthew, Chris, Daniel, Fallout 907, Kelso, Chris, Tiffany, The Star, Patrice, Stephanie, Darknuck, Il Maestro himself. Uh, who also who has a new single out? He released a Terrytown cover on Spotify. So go check out Dark Nuck's channel on Spotify. It's really good. Uh, Brian, George, Mike, Dylan, Lennon, Kolku, Rowan, Josh, Nick, Dante, One, Gep, Brittany, Davy, Haru, the Mighty, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Ben, Daniel, Nick D underscore TV, Hyrule Interviews, aka Maximum Nichols, Garrett, and Drew. These are the most legendary of individuals. And I would hunt for a buried ring of great value around the tomb of my grandfather with any of them <laughs> any day of the week. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm not big on desecrating tombs. Uh, but I, I, if we weren't desecrating the tomb and we were just kind of around it, well, then that's yes. the thing. Yes. We didn't yeah, dig. Yeah, yeah. We didn't dig up Linebeck. We just like he was just he was just kind of there. He buried it. The ring was on his finger. <laughs> that honestly would have been amazing. <laughs> the the desiccated corpse of Linebeck did not feature in this chunk of game. This would have been a better a better section if Linebeck like showed up as a mini boss in between. You fight like, like Gibdo Linebeck. 
<laughs> Staubeck would have been great. I'm not going to lie. That would have been really nice. <laughs> you should have made this game, Josh. Uh, but without further ado, let's get into what we played this week. We talk about that every week in the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six-part analysis of what we played and the feelings that it made us feel. Part one of the Sacred Realms Rundown is, as always, the plot recap this week read by Matt. Take it away, Matt. We leave the snow temple and make our way back south to the Tower of Spirits. The frozen tundra may have regained its spirit tracks, but the wild northwest of Hyrule is still a dangerous place to wander. So we make quick time back to the tower to find our next rail map. When we arrive, Anjean tells us that the next rail map will open the way to the ocean region, which is in the southeast of Hyrule and is the original landing site of the settlers from over 100 years ago. The way to the next floor of the tower is open, so we go straight up to get started on the hunt for the map. This section of tower is dark as night, except for the few lanterns strewed about, which provide scant light to the area around them. Not only is it dark, but the darkness is home to several ghosts which would like nothing more than to attack our living body, so we tread carefully as we begin our explorations. The key to navigating the dark and avoiding the ghosts is to use our handy boomerang to move the fire from one torch to the next, allowing small pools of light to act as safety zones from the otherworldly menaces. On the next floor up, we find a new type of phantom wielding a flaming sword that casts bright light into the shadowed area around it. Seeing how useful a tool like that would be, we make it our mission to find the tears of light quickly so that we can get Zelda into that suit of armor. The entire floor is covered in thick darkness, and the torches are far more sparse on this floor than the previous one. But we make use of what we have and find the first two tiers fairly quickly. We also discover a stone tablet near the entrance to the floor that tells us how that tells us to blow out the lonely torch to light the way. We make our way to the torch on the far side of the map that's by itself and use the whirlwind to extinguish its flames. This reveals a hidden crack in the wall that we quickly destroy with a nearby bomb flower. After claiming the third tier, we quickly get Zelda into one of those handy torch-bearing phantoms and continue our march up the tower. Using Phantom Zelda's light, we maneuver around the darkened areas to solve a few puzzles and get some handy keys. Zelda's flaming sword also comes in handy to kill the nasty ghosts that are floating around in the darkness. And after claiming the big key and fending off some pesky key masters in the process, we open the path to the next floor. We arrive in a room with crossed walkways, creating four square pits that fall all the way to the bottom of the tower. In the middle of the crossed pathways, a giant red Zola appears to bar our way to the map room. This agile foe requires that we utilize Phantom Zelda to keep its deadly attention while we try to sneak around behind its enormous shield to get some hits on its back. It's tricky work keeping the Zola occupied and moving around the arena without falling off into the void, but eventually we strike the nasty creature enough times to vanquish it and win free to the map room. With the ocean region's rail map claimed, we warp to the bottom floor and head off south to find the next sanctuary. Of course, ever since Cole and Burn meddled with the spirit tracks, nothing is ever easy in Hyrule. After heading south through the forest region all the way to the coast, we go to cross the bridge east, only to find it destroyed. We stop off at the trading post nearby to ask about the bridge and meet the proprietor. The shopkeeper turns out to be an odd fellow who addresses himself as Linebeck III, after nearly kicking us out of his shop at first glance. 
Linebeck happens to be a purveyor of rare treasures, and though his attitude may be lacking, his shop is anything but. Every wall and shelf is stuffed to the brim with various statues, treasures, pieces of jewelry, and other pricey-looking items. His abrasive personality aside, we need to get information about who can repair the bridge, so we stoop to the lows of stroking his ego to get what we need. At least the ego stroking isn't in vain, as he tells us about the best bridge repairman in the kingdom, who lives in the snow region. So we set our sights north and head through the switching station at the Tower of Spirits to reach the bridge builder's hut more quickly. Once we arrive and take care of the monster infestation in his front yard, the bridge builder is happy to help us restore the bridge to the ocean realm. The builder heads off to the train, and as we follow him, we run into Ferris on the dock. He was going to ask us for a ride to the village past the bridge, but since we're booked up, he gives us some advice about ferrying the bridge builder. Apparently, our new passenger is very fickle about ensuring that his engineers adhere to all the signage along the spirit tracks, keeping to the appropriate speed, blowing the whistle when required, and always stopping right at the dock without using the emergency brake. As Ferris goes his way to walk towards the Oceanside Village, we board the train and try to keep a good attitude about the persnickety passenger we now have on board. While following all the posted signage does slow us down, we're able to complete the trip with no major inconveniences. The bridge builder debarks the train and goes off to see the damage to the bridge and what he's getting himself into. Eventually, he declares the bridge is bad, but not beyond repair. Just as he's telling us to go kill some time while he does the work, Linebeck saunters up to talk to his old buddy. As they're jabbering back and forth, each throwing a couple jabs in at the other, the rather uncomfortable topic of payment for the labor comes up. To our utter astonishment, Linebeck says that we have agreed to foot the bill, and the bill is a whopping 5,000 rupees. Frankly, we're so stunned that we don't even have a good comeback, so before we can gather our wits, Linebeck walks off and the bridge builder gets to work on his repairs. Zelda is just as furious as we are and suggests we go give Linebeck a piece of our mind about the situation that he's thrown us in. As we re-enter Linebeck's shop ready to let him have it, he stops us cold with an idea of how to come up with money. He tells us that when his grandfather landed here and settled down, he had a rare and extremely valuable piece of treasure called a regal ring. These days, regal rings go up for, for 8,000 rupees easily, so it would be more than enough to cover the bridge repair and make a tidy profit as well. He gives us the key to the area of the island where he believes the original Linebeck is buried and set off on our errand. To reach Linebeck's grave, we have to go through a cave infested with like-likes, but on the other side we find the gravestone, but no buried treasure. We read the letter that Linebeck III gave us, and it says something about sounding the light to follow its beam, in order to find the hiding spot, and then instructions about how to find the treasure once we enter the hiding spot. Not really sure what to do about that, we continue exploring the area looking for clues. Next to the gravestone, we find another singing stone which, when we play the notes back to it, teaches us the Song of Light. In response to the song, a beacon comes up out of the ground and shines a light to a nearby island, obviously pointing to the way to the hiding place of the treasure. We toss our boomerang along the beam of light and hit a switch, which extends the bridge to the island and opens our path across. Once we are inside, we find two more beacons, and after playing the Song of Light, we follow the instructions on the letter that Linebeck gave us. We go to where the light crosses, take four steps up, and stick six steps west, but there's nothing there. We remember the song of discovery that we learned in the snow region and decide to give it a try. 
After the song is complete, a chest rises up from the ground and contained within it is the incredibly valuable regal ring. We head back to Linebeck III as fast as we can, ready to get this over with so we can finally proceed to the ocean realm. He's waiting for us outside his shop, and as he admires the beautiful ring, waxing poetic about its worth and beauty, he doesn't see the bridge builder walk up with an earshot. Just as he's glorying in the 8,000 rupees he's about to make, the bridge builder pipes up and lets him know that he would be more than happy to take that ring off of Linebeck's hands now that the bridge is fixed. With, the, with his small fortune gone, Linebeck is in a remarkably okay mood. He offers to buy any treasure that we happen to find on our journey and tells us that he can also get our train some spiffy new parts if we find really good stuff. Honestly, we're just glad to finally be heading into the ocean realm in search of the sanctuary and our next temple. So we hop on the train and steam into the ocean realm, heading straight for the nearby sanctuary without so much as a glance backwards. Once we arrive, we find a few puzzles to solve and some enemies to knock over, but nothing that overly taxes our abilities. We reach the inner sanctum to find it shockingly empty, no locomo in sight. There's a notice board in the center of the room with a handwritten note that says, I am at Papuchia Village, visiting my sky friends, signed by Carbon. More annoyed than anything, we reverse course to the village to look for our wayward locomo. The village of Papuchia is a small seaside collection of homes and tiny islands inhabited by a kind people who follow the local fortune teller as their leader. We explore the village to find carbon, but only find our way into the fortune teller's hut, where we are told a non-sensual fortune that means next to nothing. We exit the hut and see an extremely strange sight. A white-haired locomo being carried through the air in some contraption by a flock of seabirds. Unsure how to get him down from there, we go back to the wise one and ask her. Since she can apparently only speak in fortune-telling, we humor her, and she tells us that underneath where the sky-dwellers gather, near the lonely tree, there is a hidden soundstone that will call him. So we go to the lone palm tree by the edge of the water and play the song of discovery, and sure enough, a soundstone rises up from the ground. It teaches us a complicated tune called the Song of Birds, and as soon as we complete it, the seabirds come and drop off our wayward locomo. Even though he's none too pleased about having his vacation cut short, he agrees to accompany us back to the sanctuary. Again, with the whole nothing is ever easy anymore, along the way, we are accosted by pirate ships bearing loads of mini blends and even one big blend that are set on capturing our locomo. We run back to the passenger car to fend off the would-be kidnappers, and after a furious fight, we drive them off to wherever they came from. With the locomo safe, we dock at the sanctuary and head back to the inner sanctum to learn our next duet and empower the tracks leading to the temple. Before we can leave the dock, Carbon gives us something called a Force Gem, which is a physical manifestation of the inner power and gratitude of a person. The Force Gem empowers a small section of the rails in the forest realm, and Carbon tells us that every person has the potential to produce Force Gems, which can empower small sections of the spirit tracks all over Hyrule. While the Force Gem is interesting, we're really here for the duet and the temple. This duet is a little trickier, but eventually we get the hang of it and empower the tracks all across the ocean realm. The tracks lead over large stretches of the ocean and all across the archipelago of islands to the west. East. But of course, there is another catch here. The ocean temple resides on the floor of the ocean, not above water. Carbon assures us that the spirit train is more than capable of transversing the deep sea safely, and gives us written instructions on how to open the way to the temple itself, 
before sending us on our way. We ride the tracks around the ocean realm, following Carbon's instructions to blow our whistle at three posts around the area. Each of these posts contain a crystal that is awakened by the train whistle, and when activated in the proper sequence, opens the path to the tracks underwater. Once under the surface, the spirit train does indeed protect us and function perfectly. With a helpful bubble of air to keep us alive, and our cannon turned into a torpedo launcher, we make our way across the tracks towards the distant temple. Before we can arrive safely at the temple, an enormous armored train emerges from the mouth of the temple and bears down on us, meaning to ram us into dust. We frantically begin running as fast as we can away from it, blasting it with torpedoes all the while, even though it barely slows the dark menace down. We steam along the tracks as fast as we can, avoiding a second train that appears to sandwich us in and eventually make our way around the northern tracks to the other side of the temple where we fly into the temple's docking station as fast as possible, safe at last. Strangely, the temple is completely dry, with no sign of water or water-based puzzles in sight. Instead, we are confronted with rolling boulders and large chasms that block our path forward. The lower levels don't have too many enemies to slow us down besides some electrical chews that need to be stunned before being dispatched. There are some stones that read things like, the first one is above here, and the fourth one is above here. So we take note of the four stones and what they say before moving on. On the next floor, we see the use for those stones in the form of four switches that we have to hit in sequence to open the next door. This door opens to a path that allows us to redirect the boulders that were blocking our path on the first floor. So with that done, we head back down and start exploring the east side of the temple. On the third floor of the temple, we find ourselves locked in a square room with a large yeti-looking creature wielding a wicked-looking whip in one hand. Before we can raise our shield, the snapper grabs us with the whip and holds us tight. We can't escape its grip, nor can we get close enough to slash the snapper with our sword. As we try to move around the room, the snapper slings us around wildly, eventually pulling us savagely towards him for a vicious smack. The next time he pulls us in, we get in our own smack with the sword, finally freeing us from the whip. We then spend the rest of the fight dodging about the room, avoiding the grasp of the whip while trying to get in close enough to land some hits with the sword. Eventually, we defeat the snapper and claim his whip as our prize for the win. By using the whip, we're finally able to traverse many of the chasms of the temple, at least those with handy logs stretched over them so that we can grab onto them with the whip's fangs. The temple really opens up to us at this point, and we traverse floor after floor by swinging over bottomless pits with the whip. Each floor contains new puzzles, most of which are solved by utilizing clues from other floors or by activating switches to raise new wooden beams for swinging. We encounter some new chews that are indestructible except to bombs or thrown objects. We solve puzzles by throwing swords into the mouths of fish, fish statues, and we fly over bottomless pits on some handy propellers. After all of this, we finally find the key to the boss room. And even better, the stairs leading to our quarry are within sight of the key area. But of course, the temple has one more obstacle for us. As we grab the key, five key masters spawn around the room to try to prevent us from reaching the stairs. After a few failed attempts, we reach the stairs and insert the key, opening the path to the top of the temple, where whatever evil power holds the force gem at bay will be found. We have to do some more traversal around the base of the temple's roof, 
but after destroying some vines blocking our path up and swinging over even more gaps, we reach the roof of the temple and find a large pool of water with a pinkish mass floating in it. As we're looking at the pool, which overlooks the ocean below, the pink mass rises out of the water, revealing an enormous bulbous-looking creature with spiked tentacles. The head of the creature is covered in what looks like tumorous growths, which obscure most of its features, except for the mouth filled with pointed fangs. The green body and tentacles rise up, and the creature roars its challenge over the open ocean, and we join the battle for the ocean temple with the creature Phytops. Phytops throws down two of its tentacles onto the stone around its small pool, effectively blocking us into a small portion of the arena. As we scramble around this hemmed-in space, it starts launching poisonous gunk into the air to rain down on us. When it lands, it burns and sizzles the stone and our skin. We don't see any weak points to hit, so we decide to throw some of the spikes from Phytops' own tentacles at the tumorous growth on its face. When the spikes land, one of the growths disappears like a popped balloon, revealing part of a large yellow eye. We keep throwing spikes at its head until we reveal the entire eye, and then drive a spike directly into that sensitive spot. Phytops is stunned and falls onto the stone near us, allowing us to slash away at its head. It recovers and redoubles its effort to squash us, lashing out wildly with its tentacles and spraying even more of the pink slime into the air. As Phytops emerges into the open air again, the growths have regrown to protect its eye once more. So we repeat the process of tossing vine spikes and inflicting eyeball trauma. The next time Phytops rises up from its pool, it brings all four tentacles to bear into the fight, hemming us in, spewing poison, and trying to strike us with its second pair of tentacles all at the same time. Unfortunately for Phytops, we are more than adept at multitasking with giant monsters and quickly bring it down once more. With some final slashes from our trusty sword, we destroy the barbed menace, cleansing its filth from the waters of the ocean realm. As the pool of water clears from the spume of Phytops, the water begins to glow brightly with a white light. The familiar pedestal rises from the pool of water, and the blue force gem of water descends from the sky to rest upon it. The Force Gem releases its stored energy, revitalizing the spirit tracks and the temple's connection to the Tower of Spirits at last. In the distance, the tower regains another section of itself, and the seal on the Demon King gains strength from the restored power of the Ocean Temple. As we claim the Heart Piece, we marvel at the fact that we only have one temple left to free, one set of spirit tracks to revitalize, and one more section of tower to restore before we have to confront whatever powers Maladus has brought to bear on the top of the tower. We can only hope that our own power will be sufficient to complete the task and restore the kingdom and its princess at last. Well done, as always, Matt. That brings us to part two, which is our takes, where we talk about this section of the game and how it made us feel. All right, so... <laughs> all right where even to begin um so as as we have kind of said the last few weeks um we're still very much in the flow of the way that events happen between dungeons and spirit tracks right um we head back to the tower of spirits we talk to angine uh it's time to get a new railway map um, so we have a Tower of Spirits adventure, and then we have an adventure following that, uh, which centers around the new area that we've unlocked via 
the rail map. So the new area this week is the Ocean Kingdom. Um, let's go ahead and just start off with a discussion about the happenings in the Tower of Spirits this week. Um, Josh, uh, I'm going to give you just a few seconds before we talk specifically about the new floors that we got to this week. Um, and I, I want to catch up with you on your thoughts about the Tower of Spirits versus the Temple of the Ocean King and where you're at with it as a concept in this game. Um, on paper, the Tower of Spirits is much more fun than the Temple of the Ocean King. In practice, I hate it a lot more. <laughs> um, really? The um, uh, the first couple of group, the first couple rooms, right for the first and second dungeons, not not too much to them. They're fine, right? This is the point in the game where I think it starts to go dramatically downhill, and I think it just gets worse from here. Um, the Temple of the Ocean King is designed as a sort of challenge where it's like, get the best score, get through it as fast as you can so that you have a longer timer to do more stuff and explore and bring your new items to find a shortcut. And like, I like, it's not really my kind of gameplay, not the thing I really liked, but I get what they were going for. This feels like they removed all the obstacles people didn't like about the Temple of the Ocean King. You don't die if you're walking around and outside a safe zone. You know, No timer. You, there's no timer. You don't have to replay the same sections. But they were like, well, now it's too simple. How do we make this just obnoxious? Let's make it all dark. And then you have to find ways to light torches. And then maybe Zelda has to get a torch for you because we're not going to give you a lantern properly. And I don't want to say what happens in the future episodes. <laughs> um, it gets worse. Like, I, I feel like I just, as part of this part of why I don't really like replaying the game very often, because past this point, I'm just like, I don't want to go in the tower. It's, I'm especially not going in the tower without just having a walkthrough open. Because I, I don't want to figure it out anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where I'm, I just, and I even, even for this section, as soon as I saw it was dark, I'm just like, I'm not doing it. Just open the guide. Tell <laughs> me what's going to have do. it open. Yeah. Like, I, I yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, look, I get it. I, I think that darkness puzzles are, they're certainly, they've never been one of my favorite things in a Zelda game. Um, I think there's just something that's inherently, uh, I don't know, just really annoying about a darkness mechanic, right? Like it's a, it's a, it's a constant ever present level of fiction between you and a goal that you're trying to get to, which fiction or friction friction. Okay. Did I say fiction? You did. You said fiction. Okay. Hey Matt, have I ever told you about my, my favorite movie of all time, stranger than friction? <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't think you have. Lyndon. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's one of, it's, it's actually like a really out there movie for Will Ferrell, but, um, anyway, it's another discussion for another time. <laughs> not important um, at this time. Yeah, no, <laughs> not relevant. Uh, no. And so it's a constant ever present level of friction between the player and a goal that they're trying to achieve. And, I think that sometimes it can be fun to a certain extent. Like, um, for example, let's talk about the Dark Palace in A Link mm. Between Worlds, right? Mm -hmm. Which um, 
I think is actually a very good example of ways that you can kind of leverage the sort of mechanic in a way that can be fun and can add a sense of like foreboding and claustrophobia and whatnot. And I, I think it's actually pretty successful um, here. I don't hate it. Like I still didn't hate the tower of spirits this week. Um, I do think that the sphere of light around torches, like the, the, the reward that you got from illuminating a torch was a little bit too little for me. Mm. Right. Where it felt like lighting a torch was like, yes, I understand that helped me a bit. Right. But I feel like um, th- like the goal, I think, should have been to be able to illuminate the entire floor that you're on by lighting the torches. Right. Um, and it, it never it never really got to that point. And so even as many of them as you light, you're still kind of struggling around in the dark for a lot of it. Um and so, yeah, that was kind of my my main issue there. I, I, I didn't like it a lot up until we got Zelda into the phantom armor. And then you were just kind of like walking around with a phantom that had a giant flaming sword. Right. Um, and at that point, I, I kind of started to, to come around on it a little bit. I think the one thing that's a little bit annoying about this section, though, is that like in order to keep it. it so if you're having phantom Zelda walk with you. Right. Um, in order to stay in the sphere of light that she creates, you're just having to walk so much slower than you normally would in order to keep pace with her. Right. Um, if you, or, and if you get yeah, in her way, yeah. she says like, get out of the way. You're in my way. Move out yeah. over and over. Um, I was going to say, I think part of what bothers me about this too is there is no map for the floor, the floor or floors that are dark and illuminating the torches or anything doesn't like give you a map like yeah there, there's nothing you're just stuck they give you a couple key points of like here's where the exit is and that's it i feel like i would have it would feel more rewarding to light all the torches and figure it out if you were actually getting the map as you went to figure it out mm-hmm. even if the whole floor didn't end up illuminated at least you would have pieced together what the floor is and instead there's nothing which is a really strange reversal from temple of the ocean king and phantom hourglass right because i know that um tower of spirits uh even though you don't have to replay earlier floors you can still go back to them um to get treasure and whatnot and uh there's like one or two pieces of treasure that are on on these floors as well um and so the fact that you don't have a map makes it kind of a lot more difficult for you to be making notations, right? For things like come back and look for later, uh, which is uh, which is odd, right? It's like, I mean, say what you will about Temple of the Ocean King, but one of the things that it really did have going for it is that if you're one of those kinds of people who you love making notes and coming back at a later time to do different things and optimize your run or whatever, then that was what it was set up to do. Like that was one of the big promises of the whole experience. So it's kind of weird to dump it now. Matt looked like he was going to say something. No, not at all. I I, I think that you stated that very well. I, I, yeah, you're right. Um, I, I think, I think there are good things and bad things about tower of the spirits. I, I didn't overly dislike this week's section. Um, I, (sighs) darkness puzzles don't, generally speaking get my goat 
as much as like sliding block puzzles or sliding ice puzzles or or slow movement puzzles like oh nothing's worse than a slow movement no, puzzle. nothing is worse than quicksand or mud or something that makes you move slow like that's just the worst carrying a big or key stealth mission yes exactly <laughs> thank you yeah carrying something heavy yeah, keep going keep going right like you can you can really take this as far as you want um but so, so like darkness puzzles don't really uh you know, do anything bad for me, I guess. I, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I, I liked last week's a lot more, honestly. Um, and, you know, I, I based on what you just said, Josh, I assume that the darkness puzzles are kind of a thing that continue to happen, which isn't my favorite thing in the world. But, you know, at least I'm not uh, up against a timer and I'm not uh, tre- having to retread the same path over and over and over and over again. Like, I'll, I'll take this over that any day. Yeah. You know, the thing is, this week's section versus last week's, I feel like last week we had a lot more opportunities for um, showcasing how good the Zelda Phantom buddy mechanics can be, right? Like last week, I think that was all executed on a little bit better. There were more interesting things to do with it. Um, And this week, I feel like they thought that using Zelda to illuminate the darkness around you would be equally interesting to that, but they were wrong. Uh, and yeah, so I, 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 it's definitely a step down, um, from where this has kind of been in terms of fun for me up until this point. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's, it's a shame to hear that, uh, at least in your estimation, Joss, this kind of gets worse and worse as you go further into the game, just because I do think that, um, to me so far, this has been one of the clear points where, uh, spirit tracks has, has been kind of kicking the, kicking the crap out of phantom hourglass, um, was the execution of the Temple of the Ocean King, Tower of Spirits sort of thing. Yeah, and like I said, like, I actually, I agree with you that, like, last week's section had, like, the lava, and you jump on the shield, and you walk across, and uh, I like that mechanic, or just you riding on top of the phantom to hit an enemy that's up high or whatever, right? I think that's a better mechanic than it just being a torch. Um, But, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's... I, again, I'm trying not to say too much because we're not that late in the game yet. Uh, <laughs> there are things coming that I'm very interested to see if it changes your mind, basically. Uh, because <laughs> I, I do genu- <laughs> I do genuinely think it gets worse <laughs> as you go. Um, I think it's that's literally kind it's- of a common theme in this game. I, I, I kind of hate to say it up front. It's just I feel like the game gets worse the further you get. <laughs> like. I like the beginning well, I w- of the game I will better say, than the end of the game. I will say, I think this section of in-between tower and temple stuff was definitely not my favorite. Yeah. Uh, in my mind, Josh, next week's uh, Tower of Spirits is just, it's like, it's a series of echo chamber rooms, and you have to break stuff by just shouting into your microphone. <laughs> I would literally, I think, I think, Lyndon, I honestly think I would stop playing the game. <laughs> like, I am happy I, to I confirm that that is not a feature. Oh, thank okay. God. Good. Like, I can only that, take that so much scornful glances... I can only take so many scornful glances from my fiance about a game that makes me blow on it before I start, you know, questioning my commitment to the bit. Well, there we go, everyone. Matt gets to finish this season of the podcast. We're all happy. (laughs) There was much rejoicing. Um, Okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, like there's not too much else to say about Tower of Spirits this week because it, it is just completely 
illumination. Like it's lighting torches and using. I'm annoyed that you can't kill the ghosties until you become Phantom Zelda. Like, I wish you could kill them with a flaming boomerang instead of just having to use the flaming sword. Yeah. And and to be honest, like it, it set me up for some confusion, like talking about the boomerang. Um, our experiences in the snow temple last week where we were able to make ice paths with the boomerang mm-hmm. um, set me up for some confusion in here because I was expecting for there to be some kind of mechanic where using the boomerang with fire, fire was. Yeah, I did would, the same would like would like illuminate a temporary like path or something, you know, yes. um, and it doesn't work that way at all. So, yeah, that was a that was a bit. I a had bit the same confusion. Look at that. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so anyway, yeah, we get our rail map. We unlock uh, at least the map of the Ocean Kingdom. We uh, we restore some of the spirit tracks that are over there. Um, so it's time to load up into the spirit train and head down that way. Uh, so uh, we do uh, at least this is at about the point where I got the letter um, and read the letter, which it was saying that I could go do some combat training in the castle. So I did make a quick stop to do that. Um, but uh, that little detour aside, I proceeded immediately to the southeast of the forest realm over to where the ocean realm crossover is. Um, we can't cross it, though. We can't cross the bridge because the bridge is damaged. Of course so, it is. Nothing's course it ever is. easy. Yeah. So uh, we hop out of the train. There's a there's a quaint little cottage not too far away. We go inside. And who should we find in this cottage? <laughs> but Linebeck the third. Uh, good old Linebeck. Good I gotta old say, Linebeck the third. I enjoyed hearing this music again. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was that was a good little the the only the only good piece of music from Phantom Hourglass, <laughs> and they <laughs> and they brought it back into Spirit Tracks. So there you go. Um, this was hysterical. I love how this dude is literally just Linebeck with a hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it really, really is. <laughs> oh geez um matt i mean how how was this a big fun moment for you it was i mean as soon as i entered the um as soon as i entered the room trading post yeah the trading post and like the camera stayed low so you couldn't see the person's face uh and then you know but you see someone that's he's got that swagger he's got that lineback walk you know you know who he is and i was like ah i know who this is i know who this is i was kind of expecting it to be the actual lineback just like really old um but no, it was it was uh it was Lineback the third, which I guess makes makes sense. So yeah, a hundred um, years, right? Yeah. So this the, this would make him Lineback's grandson, I think. That makes a certain amount of sense. Yep. Um, and it's cool. Like this is nice to know because now we've got explicit confirmation that the whole Lineback sailing off into the sunset at the end of Phantom Hourglass wasn't just like a illusion or something more metaphorical or supernatural or whatever like this is like yes linebeck got into the the real world right or Mm -hmm. our world yeah um and he like basically everyone else who was confined to the ocean king's pocket universe uh somehow seems to have gotten out of that pocket universe and now they live on this island so um (laughs) i i just i think that that's a weird like recurring thing like for a you know for a population like between Linebeck and the Anuki and all this stuff right it's like a whole lot of people sure did make it to New Hyrule from the Ocean King's reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but it's cool. Like it's good to know that Linebeck 
he, you know what? He had his happy ending. He, he made a new home in a new land. He had a family. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Josh, I mean, I know that you don't necessarily love Phantom Hourglass a whole lot more than you love Spirit Tracks, but um, does Lineback showing up here like this, uh, does, it, does that do anything for you? Oh, yeah. No, I love it. And Lineback, I think, is one of the better parts of Phantom Hourglass and not just the music. Um, so, no, I love this reference. And I kind of said it when I was talking earlier, it's like the story continuity and just seeing the characters come back or their descendants being here and being identical. Uh, and so on. Yeah, I, being right. exactly identical. Yeah. Is one of the, one of the highlights of this game, I think. Uh, so you I like this that is like lot. Matt. Tell me, Lyndon, what's it like? This is like the Star Trek universe where like the, the there's like 300 years of Soong family descendants. And they all look exactly the same. Yeah. And they, they're all played by Brent Spiner. <laughs> like, it's like, why do you all, why are you all Brent Spiner? <laughs> like, they don't even give him different colored contacts or even a hat. He's just always Brent Spiner. Yep. Just, <laughs> just like, yeah, but my great grandfather was Brent Spiner and my son will also be Brent Spiner. And this is Brent an- Spiner's all the way down. We the can't three be androids on- that we made also are Brent Spiner. Like <laughs> we can't be on the screen at the same time unless we're in Android makeup. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Makes sense. So anyway, no, I, I think it's fine. Uh, but it's like in Zelda, it just is it's charming and funny. Right. Because anytime they do this, um, because Ocarina of Time was my first big, big Zelda game. Right. Um, and then Majora's Mask was a huge thing for me as well after that. Uh, this always makes me think of the Ocarina of Time Majora's Mask relationship. Right. Mm, and because yeah. of that, it's always a little bit more charming to me than just a dismissive like asset reuse kind of criticism you know um so it's it's fine it totally works but yeah, yeah no i for sure didn't have any ne- i didn't have any negative feelings about no this no 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 it was it was fun and i think that this is really fun like that it's kind of a cool continuation of Linebeck's character type, right? That this guy owns, like, he's not a pirate, right? But he does own the treasure trading post, um, which was cool. And so, anyway, we talked to Linebeck, and he's like, yeah, you know, if you want to get to the ocean realm, you're going to have to go talk to the bridge builder. And, oh, boy, if this <sighs> if God. this didn't end up making us drive our freaking train all the way over to the other end of the map to pick this guy up... And, you know, we said earlier in the season, Matt, it's like, hey, it's nice. It seems like this game is doing escort quests better, right? How wrong we were. I don't know if you can, strictly speaking, call getting the bridge builder back to the ocean bridge on the train an escort quest. But damn if it didn't feel like it was. Like, it was just striking so many of the same, like, like, why why are you making me do this sort of things? Um Josh, is this? I, I know in the Discord you said that this week was just like, man, I I hate doing so much of this stuff. Was this whole thing where you've got to drive the bridge builder back on the train? Was this one of the things that you were talking about? Yeah, because and and less because like of needing to follow the road signs or whatever, not such a big deal. It's just the simple matter of I already met the bridge builder on my way back to the Tower of Spirits. And then I did the Tower of Spirits, and now I've gone to my new area, and they're saying, no, go back where you started, to then go back to the area you've already just been to, all on your train while dodging a bunch of enemies, following a bunch of road signs. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so it's just tedious. And, like, it's not a straight path back and forth, like... uh, 
you have to zigzag through a bunch of train tracks and, you know, you got to play the game for 15 minutes to get each way, right? And you spend so long. And, and like, this isn't even, this is just the first instance of this in, in this section. Yeah. Like, you spend so much time just doing train traversal, which I think is maybe the worst part of this entire game. And uh, so, no, I don't I don't like it at all. Yeah, it's so my thing about the, the signs, like having to pay attention to the train traffic signs while you're doing all this, is that um, unless I unless I missed something in the early game, this is a whole system that I didn't even know existed. Like, like, of course, I had seen the signs like scattered around on the train tracks and whatnot, but like I I had never I had never noticed them really. Like I had never paid particular attention to them. They haven't served any functional purpose before now um, until the moment that I got the bridge builder in the train car and we're, we're on our way and I notice a little smiley face. That's hovering up. <laughs> and I'm just like, and, I'm, and, and it was almost like a threat, right? Yeah, like, it's like, it's, mm, I'm going to be mad at you. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was like, oh no, no, I sense a mechanic coming. Um, and a mechanic there was. And the first time that I was like, I took a corner or something, and then the smiley face became a little bit less green and a little bit less smiley. <laughs> and there was a text bubble that popped up and said, hey, you blew right through that sharp turn or whatever. And I was just like, oh, no. Are we – this is what we're doing? This is what this is? Um, and, and it was just uh, – it annoyed me so much because there's no precedent for this at all in the game so far. Um and it just got worse, right? Like I started losing smiley face energy for all kinds of crazy things, right? Like didn't didn't blow your choo choo horn at the right at the exact right time. It's like, oh, buddy, now now we're like now we're the yellow face of whelmed, you know? Like <laughs> we're whelmed. <laughs> so you missed the tutorial, like, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say you I didn't. You so. didn't talk to Ferris, who tells you what to do. Oh no, I don't have time to talk, to dude. People. Ferris was literally right in front of the right dog. The you like had to walk right <laughs> past him. Oh, that's my bad. <laughs> yeah, but no, he, I was on a mission. He I was gives doing you, something. He gives you the yeah. whole rundown of exactly what to do, Lyndon. Come on, man. Oh no. Okay. Well. That's my bad. Look, I contend that whether or not I knew that it was coming, it still would have been equally irritating. Uh, since I knew it was coming, I can uh, attest that it was equally irritating. Yes. Did did not enjoy. And yeah. look, like it's it's very it's, it was all arbitrary too. Like, oh, why why do I have to blow my train whistle here? There's no like there's no animals on the track. Why do I have to slow down here? This isn't even a corner. It was just a straightaway. Why do I have to go slow? But yeah, it was it was stuff that was very like didn't make any sense at all. So as Chancellor yeah, Cole decreed that. it and wanted to put a road sign up. <laughs> well, uh, see, there yeah. you go. It's Chancellor Cole's fault. Well, at makes, least I have someone to blame. That now. makes sense. Cole's a dick. Yeah. Um, okay. So anyway, and, and like, and to your point, Josh, it's one of those things where it probably would not have graded as much as it did if it didn't take literally 15 minutes to do each trip. Um, I, I think that's my main issue with train traversal so far. It's not that it's not that it's on rails. It's so right? slow. It's, it's just, it's so slow and it takes so long. Right. And then, like I said earlier, you get into situations where it's like you're trying to escape a bomb train and you have to go in reverse or do some funky thing. And um, I don't know, like it just it's not it's not exactly a fun way to be spending my time. And I really do think that 
just increasing the speed of the train by double would probably solve this issue for me. Um, you know, because like not not being able to steer it like the boat just doesn't bother me that much. I really don't care. I even kind of like that there's more things to do while you're in the train, right? Like hunting for the rabbits. And uh, I feel like the the bombs and everything like targets are easier to hit in this game. I do so. feel like the bombs are more accurate. Yeah. I, so it's, I agree it's, with that. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care about the rabbits, um, but <laughs> <laughs> I think they're I, I deliberately ignored them this time. <laughs> yeah i want to when, when we get to bloopy trails i i have something i want to say about the ocean rabbits because i have questions but yeah they uh, make no sense right yeah. <laughs> um but anyway so uh yeah so we get the bridge builder back to the bridge and he confirms yes hey guess what me the bridge builder can fix your bridge i can build your bridge even though there's not a tree in sight i can build your bridge Neat. appreciate you <laughs> so here's the deal he needs five thousand rupees in order to get this job done. And so here's a point where I was terrified that I was going to have to go gr- rupee grinding. Oh my God, game. dude. I was so afraid of that. I only had like, I think I had less than a hundred rupees because I'd bought a bunch of stuff yeah. and I was like, Oh, this is not going to be good. <laughs> so thankfully, uh, Linebeck knows the exact regal ring to rupee conversion. So, um, which is good. But, uh, yeah, Linebeck, uh, Linebeck the third figures that if we can go dig up the ring that, our old pal Linebeck buried, then we can sell that for 8,000 rupees, get the money that we need. And so this kicks off um, some of the events that take up the space between uh, Tower of Spirits and the dungeon. Um, so was was this doing anything for anybody, right? Josh, I, I guess let's go to you first. No, <laughs> not at all. Okay. I uh, saw what I had to do. I, I like this part was fairly simple, right? But it was still just, uh, I don't even want to think about this. Like pretty much everything between this, the two dungeons here, it just, it just feels like filler. Like it's just constant roadblocks in one case, a literal roadblock <laughs> to stop you from getting <laughs> in to the, the form of a down bridge. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. like they just over and over. It's like, Oh, sorry, it's broken. You got to go find a way to fix it. Oh, you got the guy to fix it? Well, you got to get him back to the place and make sure he doesn't get pissed off in the meantime. Oh, you're here? You don't have enough money for it. Oh, you got this? Well, actually, you have to solve this weird puzzle first to do it. And it's just, and it's, this isn't even the end of it. <laughs> We're like, not yeah. even maybe yeah, half we done. haven't even gotten to the we haven't even gotten to the most annoying part of the entire section. Which, Are we even in the ocean the, realm yet? Like, no, we're not. We're still in the forest realm. <laughs> so Look, yeah, I I I will say I will say I'm oh, sorry, Josh. Finish your thought. No. Oh, I was gonna say I just I think I spent as much time getting from dungeon two to dungeon three as I spent from the start of the game to the end of dungeon two, like. There's just too much here, and none of it is fun, or or feels meaningful. Yeah, no, I I agree. I I I will say that like the getting the regal ring was the least annoying part of this because at least you had like a little mini dungeon thing to experience. You had like a couple of puzzles. You learned a new spirit flute song, which I hate, but you know at least it was like something happened and it wasn't just go from point A to point B, spend literally 10 minutes on the train. I, I swear I spent 
I spent at least 15 or 20 minutes just on the train traveling, not even doing anything. Just, oh my God, dude, I'm over it. Yeah. I'm over it. I mean, the thing, the thing is stuff like this whole find the ring quest, right? Where you have what amounts to a miniature dungeon that takes place between the dungeons, right? It, it reeks of, I mean, I mean, I know last week Cody was talking about like, well, yeah, Zelda's of this time period, right? People said they don't like because they're doing a lot of this, right? They're trying to give you more dungeon with your dungeon uh, instead of actual kind of like overworld exploration. And that's something that people don't, don't really like. Um, if you're going to do it, I mean, obviously Matt and I like Skyward Sword, right? Like we, we like that game. Um, if you're going to have this amount of like dungeon but not between your dungeons, then it has to be interesting. And it's got to be taking yeah. places. It's got to be taking place in areas that are interesting and have personality. And like, and, and that's just not happening here, which is one of the reasons that it feels so much like what you're talking about, Josh, which is just filler. That is, it exists for no other reason than to make sure that you spend 25 hours playing this game instead of, 17 yeah. or 18. Yeah, right? uh, like, like, so yeah. we're not talking about the dungeon specifically yet, but it's like actually going into this, so I was like the little mini sort of simple dungeons in Phantom Hourglass, I kind of like. And the first two dungeons in this game, I was like, I'm feeling okay about this. I just wish I didn't have to do the not dungeon part. <laughs> um, I like the dungeon yeah. part. Just give me more of that. And this, you know, by the time I got to this next dungeon, I was just like, can this be over? <laughs> I'm done. I'm done with it. Let it be done. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, like, there is something far more interesting about the in-between stuff in Skyward Sword. And I think part of that is they they try to disguise it as overworld exploration instead of so blatantly making it dungeon, 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 dungeon. Like, when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, yes, Skyward Sword is just dungeons all the way down. But they disguise it better in Skyward Sword to make it feel more natural and more exploratory. This, like, I mean, just you're literally on rails. You're going point A to point B. The stuff from point A to point B is not interesting. You get to point B and it's busy work task. And then you go from B to C. Nothing interesting happens between B and C. You get to point C, busy work task. Like, it's just constantly... Boring traversal followed up by busy work and just like, hmm, well, what? Am, and like, as you're going to the next point, you're like, well, what am I going to have to do next time? And like, are we almost to the sanctuary? And then you get to the sanctuary and psych sanctuary <laughs> is not where you need to be. <sighs> um, yeah. yeah. Like comparing it to Sky Resort is interesting because it is like, like, yeah, that's not my favorite way to do an overworld. I actually think Skyward Sword's overworld design is kind of similar to the Minish Cap, um, where it's like the whole world, you need all your items. The world is full of puzzles. You know, it, so it it sort of feels dungeon-esque, even though it's not a dungeon. But you can go to Lanayru, and they've explained, this was a mining facility. It's a mine. There's, you know, it's a, it's not a factory, but it, there's... Like it makes sense why it's kind of like that. Why there's these weird locked doors? Why why there's mine carts? Like it it's a it's better designed. And here it's just like, oh yeah, there's just this backyard. It's just a backyard, and there's a tunnel and a cave, and you need to hit a switch. <laughs> 
and then you need to yeah. walk a certain number of tiles and play a song you just learned or whatever yeah. to do it. I, I think um, this is so this is a little bit of an aside point from what we're talking about but is is also kind of related um one of the things that I think continues to underwhelm me the most about these two DS games is that I don't know if it's a technical limitation or a failure of like artistic vision or what it is, but what we know about top-down Zelda games is that it is still 100% totally possible to have a a distinctive feeling and immersive feeling world within the confines of a top-down Zelda game, right? Like even even going back as far as Link's Awakening, right? 8-bit graphics, no color right you can still do things to make that world feel like a fleshed out world as opposed to kind of like a one level up from minecraft in terms of visual fidelity sort of thing you know um which is what the ds games feel like and i i think that's the thing that that i keep butting up against like one of the things that's keeping me from liking these games the most is just that these worlds don't feel like they have any magic to them at all if that makes sense like Minish Cap had that, you know, um, Link's Awakening had that. I, I even think the Oracle games have that. But these games just in terms of talking about their sense of place continually just feel so bland all the time. Um, and it's a really I mean, man, it like not even getting into a lot of the other issues that we have with this with this type of Zelda game. But that that in and of itself is a really tough thing to overcome. Um at least for me personally, I'm sure other people feel differently, but I don't know. Uh, Matt, have you experienced a similar? Yeah, no, yeah. they're not interesting to look at. They're not interesting to explore. They're as much as you can, quote unquote, explore them. They're not that interesting to exist within. And that's that's definitely true. Um, it doesn't bump me as much as it bumps you, but it definitely doesn't help. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah I was going to say, I feel like one of the. Like when you compare it to something like Link's Awakening, right? There's obviously a technical limitation of in the Game Boy version of Link's Awakening, right? But that's why they had the the screen shifts, where you only can see one thing and then it shifts to another screen, and that's how a lot of the early Zelda games work. And even when you got to the Minish Cap, the screen the game could load was bigger than just one square screen, but there were still a lot of shifting. I don't see a lot of that happening here, right? There's not a lot of times where you get to the end of a grassy field and you have to just hit a hard point and the game has to load the next section of field. It's always a cave or a house or just leave this outpost and get back on the rails. And Phantom Hourglass is mostly the same way. Uh, I think Phantom Hourglass has a couple instances of here's a gate to walk through. And like the Goron Island, maybe. Uh, but I'm not sure why they decided they couldn't just have big square fields that shift between them. Like, you don't have to load the whole world. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a game developer, so it's possible there's still another technical limitation there. But that's uh, something I, that irks me that I feel like they could have made a they didn't have to make a bigger place that loads all at once they could have just made a bigger place that loaded in pieces and they didn't they just made a bunch of really small disparate things um yeah the uh, so I think that's part of it that makes it feel so bland to explore part of it may still just be that DS era mindset of needing to make the game's 
work for people who didn't play games. And that uh, even in 2009, especially with all this microphone stuff still included, right? They were worried that buttons were too complicated. They were probably worried that making a big world people would get lost in was bad. Like it took them basically until Breath of the Wild. Like from between between Twilight Princess and Breath of the Wild, it was like exploring being lost in the world was bad. And then the developers yeah. finally came back. I think on Numa actually finally came back and like they just like we had this realization that it's okay for the player to be lost. That there's fun in just being lost in the overworld. And so we're right in the middle of like that timeline of no one should ever be lost. And the way you make them not lost is you give them these tiny little circles of land that are connected by rails <laughs> that yeah, go in right. order. <laughs> you know. Um, so I think there's just some game design philosophy here that has aged very poorly compared to some other eras. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it, it is it, it's so true too because you do have to place this game in the time that it was made, right? Like two thousand nine, um, within the within the macro, like what's going on in just consumer, uh, like pop culture economics at the time, right? There's definitely a push towards more like uh, widespread adoption, you know, um, kind of like uh, uh, there's a technical term for this. It's um, basically just casting as wide a net as you possibly can, right? Um, and an, an effort to reduce friction in order to get as many people in the door as you possibly can do. Um, and then more specifically on the Nintendo side of things, right? This is kind of at the, at the tail end of the Wii, you know, um, or somewhere, somewhere kind of in the middle of the Wii life cycle. Right. But Nintendo had seen a lot of financial success with the Wii, um, and a lot of broad adoption of its more, uh, you know, it's, it's friendlier mechanics, right. That, you know, it's the kind of machine that you could set up in a nursing home and people will play, right? Um, that, and you've also got the rise of mobile gaming very much on the horizon around this time as well, right? So yeah, like, like this is still like iPhone one era. Yeah, yeah, yep. Uh, this was so 2009. This was my second year of college. I think I had an iPhone 3G or maybe a four at this point. But like, App Store was blown up, right? It was like this is the new coming thing. Um, and yeah, you can definitely kind of see that influence on on what this game is. And I think that is to its detriment. Like it really takes away a lot of the Zelda soul when you start making decisions like that. Um, but anyway, so moving back to just this in-between, you know, chunk of game here, right? Like we we get the bridge rebuilt. We finally make it into the Ocean Kingdom. And like we were saying, like now we've just got a series of stops that we've got to make. Like you've got a town that you can't do anything in. You make it to the sanctuary, which tells you that you have to go back to the town, right? Once you actually get to the town, (laughs) yeah, gosh, it's like, okay, so now we know where Carbon is, you know, he's flying with the seagulls or whatever. Um, Dear God in heaven, like I had gotten to a point with this game where I, where I was kind of feeling like, you know what? This microphone shit isn't bothering me as much anymore. It'll, it'll be fine. Like, I don't have to get all up in it. I'm not like spittle blowing into my microphone. Yeah. I just have to give it a gentle little, and it's fine. It's like, but, yeah, no big deal. It's good. It's not making me shout or anything, right? Five minutes later, I'm having to yell at my 3DS, right? Because the fortune teller wants verbal answers to questions. Um... <laughs> I answered her just saying something most of the time. (laughs) I literally just made a noise. I went, meh. 
Yeah, so what is, this is the thing. Like when I when I play a game, I want to have some knowledge. Like I want to have some understanding. If I'm engaging with the mechanic, I want to have some understanding of what the parameters of functionality are here, right? Like what do I need to say and what's the correct way to do it? So this fortune teller is asking me specific questions, but I know that the DS is not a sophisticated enough system to where when when the fortune teller asks me what my astrological sign is, <laughs> there's no way this game can tell whether I say Taurus or Sagittarius, right? Like uh, when it asked uh, me that the first time, luckily I was at home alone. Yeah. And I said, are you <laughs> kidding me out loud? And she goes, ah, just as I thought. And I was like, yeah, I bet you thought that. <laughs> So uh, the interesting thing is I don't know what the actual limitations here are. The DS – and I don't know if this carries over to the 3DS or not. The original plans for the DS, it actually did have a fairly sophisticated microphone. Like did either of you ever play Brain Age? No. No. Brain I Age, did not play much DS. Yeah. So Brain Age actually did use your voice, right? And it could understand what you were saying. Um. And like it wasn't perfect. Uh, like even nowadays, if you're dictating at your phone, right, and you kind of have a specific accent, or you, you know, you cut a letter off a word or something, it it'll mess it up. So I specifically remember Brain it Age really had, doesn't like the way I say words. Yeah, like I specifically remember Brain Age had a lot of complaints of people saying blue because you know it was it was a memory training game, right? So you were supposed to say what color. Uh, it's like I believe the way the game is. It's it puts a a word on the screen, um, and you're supposed to say it's either you're supposed to say what color the words are instead of what color it says. So it would be orange. It says orange on the screen, but it's in blue, and you're supposed to say blue, not say orange, right? So it's 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 trying to trick you, but people would say blue, and it would not get it. Uh, there's just, I guess, enough slight variations in how we all say blue. Um, but like, so the DS microphones were at least somewhat sophisticated. Uh, in the original announcement in 2004, Reggie actually said on stage that it had voice recognition, that like it would be your voice and only your voice would work, uh, and you could like pair your voice to the system. That did not make it into the final hardware. But that was the plan. Um, but, but it does actually understand what you're saying, which makes this even dumber because it doesn't matter what you say. <laughs> They're just asking you questions to waste your time. And in the process, making me, again, shout at my 3DS, right? Yes. Like, it's like it's just uh, – yeah. like She asks you, are you a boy or a girl? What color are your eyes and what's your astrological sign? To tell you, yeah. go to the tree and play a song. <laughs> the, it, and that and that's the thing, right? Like there's not even a there's not even an obfuscation of interesting mechanic happening here, right? Like there's there's no extra depth to this than it seems like there is. It literally exists just to waste their to waste your time. Like I can see somebody developing the blow into the microphone to play the spirit flute system kind of coming away from that whole thing being like, okay, we've got like a, we've got a bit of a mechanic here, right? You know, um, 
you know, you've got to you've got to blow at a specific speed and you've got to move the spirit flute to alternate the notes and you've got to do it as a specific time. Right. Like there's there's something there and it sucks to do in practice because the microphone isn't at least the built in microphone isn't all that great. And it's something that gamers are not like it. it it's it's an, it doesn't feel natural to do. It's not something that you're used to doing when you're playing a video game. So for a lot of reasons, it's not fun. But I can see where there was like a kernel of like a, an idea there where it was like, OK, this could be a this there's something to dig into here. Um, and this has none of that. Right. It th- This exists purely just to get you using the microphone to do something. It's astounding. Um. While we're talking about the spirit flute, I missed it a minute ago too. Um, learning the songs for this flute feels completely arbitrary. Like yeah. when you any like any other time you learn music in a Zelda game, like starting like even if you go back to a Link to the Past or something, right? It's always like an important moment. But especially in Ocarina of Times, where it kind of started as like, you're learning the song, the song is important, it's being taught to you by someone important, or, you know, you found a secret royal grave that has a secret on it. This is just, you walked into a room, there's a weird rocket ship, because you need this song right now. <laughs> so it's like, it's not even a puzzle, right? It's like you walk in, it tells you exactly what notes to play. It's like, okay, you played the notes, good job, you learned a song. And like, do I need this song ever again? Maybe if you want to one hundred percent the game. <laughs> like it it just Yeah. There there's no they've just taken away the magic of learning the music at all. The songs that are more interesting are the Lacomo songs, uh, and they're interesting but also just harder to play. But you don't ever have to play them again. <laughs> they're yeah, just exactly one off play this song as a mini game. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, there's something like when you're playing the Ocarina and Ocarina of Time, you learn Epona's song or Zelda's lullaby or whatever. Um, those games are really great about finding signposted situations where you know to play that song and integrating that as a mechanic into the world. Right. And so because of that, like I could, I you know, I've, I've still got those buttons memorized, you know, like if you ask yeah, me to play a part song, of the 3DS version is I don't know the buttons. <laughs> Oh, yeah, right. Like, you've got to keep going back and looking it back up again. Yeah, (laughs) that is terrible. Um, But anyway, but like you you still, but like, you know them, you know, you can hear them in your mind. Um, You you commit them to memory. And I could not at this moment, we're probably about halfway through this game. I couldn't tell you what any of these songs that I've learned sound like, Um, which is which sucks. Like, it's exactly what you're saying. It's like it. It's a thing that's trying to be a thing it's trying to be a more sophisticated version of the musical systems that we've had in past zelda games but it completely misses the point of what made them successful systems in the first place which sucks um but i do agree with you the locomo songs the duets um continue to be really cool arrangements of music like i I still really enjoy those once we actually kind of get them done this one with carbon this week um i didn't like it i don't it's, it's not that i didn't the music was fine I had such a hard time playing this one. You just got to do it fast. You got to bop, 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 yeah. bop, It was very staccato. I hate it. Didn't like it. And you know, the thing that I hate about the practice sessions is, is so especially this comes from a background in music, right? Like we, we both played an instrument from junior high all the way through high school and in my case into college. Um, and so whenever you, whenever the Locomo plays their bit, 
for some reason, I so it plays a measure and they play their bit. Yep. And then it's supposed to be your turn to go. I instinctually always want to wait a measure to start playing my bit, but it wants you to go right away. You know? Oh my god, you're totally right. It's yeah, hard I to do the tell same. The no wonder I. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. And also, it has the metronome sound in there, but it doesn't feel like it's actually on beat. Yeah. Well, it's because it it's because it starts with a, an empty measure before the locomo plays, so it'll go. Bum, 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 locomo plays. And so then I think, all right, so I'm going to do the same thing. Bum, 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 bum. Now I play, I play except that's not the way it works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like you're playing the other half of their song. It's like you're not even supposed to rest for a single beat. You're supposed to just keep this song going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, Which isn't yeah. actually how duets work, by the way, in case anyone's curious. <laughs> uh yeah and Duets also are not normally a call and repeat yeah also there was a weird thing that was happening to me during so when it came time so what i was finding was i was getting the practice right this week but then when i actually got into doing the duet the flute was just not doing it for me like it just wasn't yeah. working like i'd be blowing into it and it would like lose <laughs> it, yeah it would, i would like lose it halfway through and i couldn't figure out why i was like what am i doing wrong i'm doing the same thing i don't understand so frustrating um Anyway, I just, I, I, practicing. Yeah, I <laughs> know, yeah, right? This is also the Shame first time you have to skip a note on, I think, too, right? Well, yeah, because uh, you, you, you don't go straight from, uh, I'm going to totally butcher this. It's like orange, yellow, skip blue, go to purple or whatever. Like you, there's a, you have to stop your blow <laughs> you have to stop blowing <laughs> mid and then slide over an extra one and blow again <laughs> see what nintendo made us do linden they abound it's nintendo's fault that we're like this no i yeah <laughs> we actually did skip now. over quite a big portion to get to the lacomo song but uh, we didn't, did, we didn't I talk mean, about yeah, so getting like we, carbon back because you have to do more back and forth, back and forth. Oh yeah, oh, you have to, you, and you get attacked by the pirates, and, and we you get have to fend smiley face. Yeah, right? yeah, you have to. Well, this smiley face didn't do anything. Like you just had to fend off the pirates. Right. Yeah. Which actually reminds me, last week we completely forgot to talk about the cave experience with the. Oh, we did, didn't with we? With the one-eyed cave monster. That wasn't much of an experience. It was shoot the eyeball. Yeah. But this was – so the reason I think about it now is because this is a similar sort of thing, right, where it like – it saddles you with kind of a, a bespoke combat experience in this between dungeon section, you know. This one actually is a little bit more fun. Like um, getting uh, getting carbon on the train, I was worried it was going to – like we were going to have like cannonball shooting at us from the water or something. And I was like, crap, I'm going to hate this. I didn't actually hate the process of having to defend carbon from pirates inside the train car. No, that was actually kind of fun. Yeah. Um, I didn't mind it. So. Yeah. yeah I mean, look, it, I, I like really combat gauntlets. Yeah. Combat gauntlets are great. Give yeah. More. The, the only part about it I don't like is just I had already spent an hour and a half or whatever trying to get to this dungeon. <laughs> it's just like, please let me have And like, you've already gone to the sanctuary, right? And done the puzzle to yeah. open the door. Although I didn't do the puzzle. You're I just right. the answer of what to draw Dude, the door. Drawing, drawing on that door was so incredibly hard. Yeah. It's it like, just, it was just an so finicky. That's the thing. It was so like, finicky for me. Like I couldn't get it so to take the, it. The thing that was doing it for me, and so same as you, Josh. Like I didn't. Well, I, I didn't look it up, but I didn't get the whole design. I got enough of it to where I realized, okay, this is what it is. I don't need to go look at the other statues. You know, um, 
But the problem is when it wants me to draw the design on the door, I'm thinking to myself, I've got to like fill up the whole space of the door, top to bottom, left to right, you know? Right. And which is hard to do with that shape of symbol, right? Sure. Um, and so I finally got it because the thing is you have a time constraint that you're working with, right? Once you start drawing, you have a certain amount of time before. Is it, that what it is? I thought I had yeah. a certain amount of ink and like I felt like I kept running out of ink space. I yeah, think I don't you know. do it's run like out it, of ink yeah. also, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. But no, I had to look it up in the end. Like I had already looked up what the symbol was and I was like, oh yeah, it's that symbol. But I was like trying to draw like triangles to make it. Yeah, I was and, I was drawing side by side diamonds and it wasn't working. And then finally I looked at a guide and it was just like it's just just a figure eight sideways and I just drew an infinity symbol in one stroke and it took it. <laughs> like no all points right. at all, just rounded. Yeah. Which is Stupid which is mechanic. kind of a shame because I- <laughs> Yeah, it, it it is dumb. Uh, I do think. Yeah, I mean, last week we had to do a whole a whole thing as well with like uh, document on your map the way these statues are all facing, you know, and then run the path correctly. Yeah, and I didn't hate that. Another thing we didn't yeah, talk about last was, week that was but fine. like that that to me was fun enough, right? Like there are ways that you can do this to where it actually is a pretty good time, um, and this wasn't really one of those to me. Um, I, I didn't enjoy it all that much, but. Uh, Anyway, yeah. So, yeah, you're right. A little bit, of, a little bit happens between when we get uh, when we actually find carbon and when we do the duet and learn the song. But uh, um, yeah, I, I think uh, I don't know. I um, uh, I lost my train of thought. Crap. Is it about the sanctuary, the pirates, the drawing? Oh, yeah, I was going to talk about the sanctuary. The The one thing that I do kind of like about all this is that the ocean sanctuary is a pretty cool-looking space, you know? I do think some of the some of the scenery and architecture of the spaces this week was a little bit cooler, right? Um, the ocean sanctuary looked pretty cool. Um, the exterior of the ocean temple looks really cool, and I also kind of like the interior of the ocean temple as well, the way that it I, looks. So. I really liked how the ocean temple was actually in the ocean. Oh, yeah, that was really cool. And I like that the spirit train can become a submersible. Yeah, we'll talk (laughs) about that. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, So this area of the map, even though there wasn't a whole lot of fun stuff to get up to in the ocean realm, it was fun because my headcanon was that like this was the area of new Hyrule that Tetra and Link would have landed in at the end of their voyage. Right. Oh, yeah. Like that, that was just kind of something that was in the back of my mind. And I was like, okay, that's neat. That's giving me something. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. And the fact that Linebeck and his family have set up shop over there as well kind of lends credence to that, right? It's like, do you think Linebeck uh, married Jolene, which is why the per- the chick who runs the knock him down looks like Jolene? You think they're related? Sure, why not? I still haven't found that place, by the way. Where it's is it? It's in Castletown. Really? It's, yeah, it's at the bottom right. I. It's the bottom. It's the bottom right building. I couldn't bring myself to explore Castletown. I was going to say you went back to Castletown. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know what's in <laughs> Castletown. I have no idea what's there. My it's shield got eaten by like like, and I was still like, I am not taking this train back somewhere with a store. I'll, I'll pay. I'll pay the extra. Tr- I'll pay the extra twenty rupees at Linebeck to avoid having to go back to Castletown. Yeah. Oh yeah, that twenty rupees is easily worth fifteen minutes of your time in oh, train. No Are you saying I could have gotten like, another shield from Linebeck? Yes, yeah, he sells shields. He sells shields. Oh, yeah, I didn't figure that out. I just there was stuff <laughs> in the dungeon where I really could have used a shield, and I was like, whatever, I'm just going to take the hits and <laughs> eat the hearts. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I was I was about to say whenever you log back on, go get one from Linebeck, but you're not playing this game anymore. So I think I think I'm done. Yeah. We'll see okay, how I feel in a week or two or something, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, I know, right? Okay. So anyway, uh once we once we play the duet and we restore some of the spirit tracks, Carbon lets us know it's like, hey, by the way, there are tracks under the water as well. The entrance to the temple of the uh, <laughs> the temple of the ocean king. The ocean temple. That mix up is a little bit more <laughs> That's a little bit more understandable, right? yeah. Yeah. Um so the entrance to the ocean temple is underwater. You have to follow a specific path to get there. Um, yet another example of a situation where doing this whole thing where you have to activate the orbs in a certain order, there's nothing intrinsically fun about this, right? Mm, it's, correct. It's not adding anything to this experience. It's existing solely for the purpose of wasting more Filling of time. space. Yep. Yeah. No doubt. And also – it was very unclear what you were supposed to do, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, I drove around to the three islands in in order. That's what, that's what I did as well. I had to look this up. Yeah, I drove to all three islands in order, and nothing happened, and I was like, what the hell? So, hey, Matt, <laughs> guess what? I guess you didn't talk to Ferris. Yeah, I uh, no, I did not talk Ferris. to Ferris this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I feel like this one's a little more understandable because I didn't want to stop the train to talk to Ferris. I saw him over there taking his little pictures, and I was like, nah, I'm good. I think for... <laughs> I literally like thought about it and I was like, meh. I'm just imagining Ferris by the side of the train tracks, like jumping and waving and Matt's just like, like whistling, like <laughs> purposefully looking the opposite direction yeah, and not like, making yeah, eye contact. Like, like what? Ferris? Ferris who? I don't, uh, don't see you. Don't see you. Don't see you. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. You should probably start talking to Ferris. I think we both probably should start talking to Ferris more. No, I did also did not talk to Ferris here. Um, like I, I remembered the escort portion, how that worked, right? With the signs here, I didn't remember how it worked. I got up to it and I was like, I don't remember what I'm supposed to do. And then I saw the thing in the ocean where we're like, oh yeah, it's that thing. And I tried to hit it with the cannon. Like it was a target and I couldn't hit it. And I was like, oh shoot, what do I do? And just was like, this is all I got and pulled the horn <laughs> and it worked. So I was like, okay, that's what you do. So I didn't have to redo it, yeah. but it was definitely not clear what to do. Uh, I also think yeah. the game's mechanic of giving you a whole mailbag to just stuff it with like random notes from people is silly. Like I didn't even check yes. the mailbox because like why couldn't Carbon just tell me the instructions? Why why is it a letter? Yeah, I know. That didn't make any sense either. Like he's like, "Oh, here, let me give you this letter and you can read it for yourself." Anyway, here's three more lines of dialogue that have nothing to do with what you're supposed to do. I guess uh see you later. And I'm like, "Could you I, just tell me, please?" I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yep, I agree. It yeah. In fairness though, this is something that uh Zelda had been doing around this time, right? In Twilight Princess, you get the same sort of deal where you're getting letters from people and you kind of have to look them up in your mailbag, you know, and keep track of them that way. So um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what about that system sounded appealing to Nintendo mm. around this era, but uh, it, it's definitely not my favorite either. Um, but also, also though, in some ways it is functioning like an early version of a quest log or a notes log is like the way that we would see it in breath of the wild or tears of the kingdom, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think it exists so that you, if you forget these details, then you have a place to go back and reference them, especially because um, 
as you're out doing, like trying to do the puzzle, right? Um, if you forgot what the hint was, then it could be a huge pain in the butt to have to drive all the way back to carbon to get the hint again, as opposed to just like opening up your mailbag and looking at the map. And it's like, oh, here's the three and the two and the one, you know? Well, that just I, makes I me wonder why logic. they didn't actually just make you do that since they were already making you drive the train back and forth to the same places a dozen <laughs> times anyway. It would have added another 20 minutes to the playtime. Jeez. <laughs> Clear missed opportunity. Yeah. Uh, so we make it under underwater. And like you said, Matt, the spirit train is a submersible. Uh, Link floats in the middle of a, a fun little air bubble as soon as we go under the water. And uh, it's so funny because to me, the promise of an underwater area on train tracks is prom- <laughs> it, like the it physics. Sounds- the physics make no sense. But just just from a gameplay perspective, right? Like the promise of this sounds interesting to me. In execution, it's totally boring. There's nothing happening here, right? Like it, there's 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 nothing redeeming about any of this really at all because all it is is the same thing that you were doing above the water, just under the water. You know, um, which is a huge huge disappointment but it's like from a scenery standpoint it is pretty cool once you're kind of under there i i like how your your cannon shoots torpedoes, torpedoes now yeah, yeah, that was really fun yeah, I think but but at the same time like as cool as it is shooting torpedoes it becomes a much more frustrating mechanic because they move slower but the enemies are still moving about the same speed so it's like the cannon immediately becomes way less intuitive and way less fun to use so that's not great. Um, I mean, I think it would be would have been more annoying if you had to do this just a lot more like this, right? If if the game was designed in a way where it's like, oh, you're just constantly got to dip under the ocean and fight these underwater enemies, it would be annoying to me. Here, it's just a cute five minutes. You got to time your shots a little different to hit these octorocks because you got a torpedo now and it moves slower. So, like to me, I feel like it was just a neat little change it up on the cannon uh but it, that's just because it didn't overstay its welcome you know 10 more minutes of it and i probably would have been done with it yeah <laughs> yeah so, so we, i think that brings us to the armored train discussion right yeah yeah which the armored train full stop did this give you some trouble matt i was so angry I was so over it. I, I literally did this like five times. Really? Well, okay. So I thought, I mean, it sucks. It's just, it's a horrible so, so, time sink and I don't like it, but I, I got it. I thought time. that because the first time I did it, I, it didn't come out until I was past the turn mm-hmm. towards the uh, temple. So I reversed, but then it kept following me. So I just kept reversing and reverse is slow. So I kept trying to get it to like a fork in the road where I would could trick it to go one way and then I go the other. And that never worked, obviously. So then I kept trying to like time it where I was I would slow him down and I'd try to go one way and then go forward and try to hit the gap before he made the turn. And I could never get that timing down. So that was like literally four of the times that I did it. Finally, I was so frustrated. I just looked up a guide. And it was like, yeah, don't go, don't go towards the temple. Just go straight, go straight to the north and then kind of go around Northwest and just keep going straight and it'll follow you, but you can outrun it. And so I was like, okay, well, that makes way more sense. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I was like, Um, okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I've, 
like I forgot about it here. I shouldn't have forgotten about it because the game had been throwing a million roadblocks in my way anyway. Why wouldn't it just let me go to the temple after I worked for two hours to get there without having another needless 10 minute detour? Uh, but yes, I was a little annoyed the moment the first one showed up. But when the second one showed up, I've played it enough times that I kind of understand how they move. And I was like, I'm going to have to turn. I'm, I'm just going to have to do it. And so I kind of knew what to do. But it's still just not a fun mechanic, right? Because you can barely outrun them. If you're going in reverse, you will not outrun them. Uh, if you're not going at full speed, you will not outrun them. And there's a lot of situations not even just here, just in general throughout the game, where you just get pinned between things and there's nothing you could do. It's like, you took one wrong turn, sorry, game over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep, insta-fail. It's uh, it's a huge pain in the butt, and honestly, hearing y'all talk about it, I'm glad it only took me that one try. Um, because if I, if, I had to, if I had had to do this any more than twice, then I think I probably would have broken my 3DS in half. It was which, close. It was a close thing. Which would have made me sad, because this is my Majora's Mask 3DS. Yeah, uh, this this 3DS is very dear to yes, me. Yes, no doubt. No there's doubt. there's some All good right, I, video game repair shops near y'all. <laughs> <laughs> In case Matt throws the 3DS out of his home. I have never once thrown video game hardware of any kind. It's the first time I for feel everything. Like that's not That's true. not it is totally that is 100% true. I have like tossed it at a couch in frustration, but I have never thrown a controller. Like I have had friends who have thrown controllers at walls and like shattered them <laughs> or broken the wall. I have, I know people who have literally like crushed a controller or like broken it. <laughs> I have never once broken a piece of video game equipment in frustration. Okay. I, Mostly I because I'm a cheap son that. of a bitch and I don't want to replace it. Yeah. <laughs> Nor have I, nor have I just to be clear <laughs> and accidentally dropping your Xbox elite controller and the little magnetic pieces flying everywhere. Doesn't that doesn't count. count. Oh, that happens all the time because I'm a klutz, not because I'm angry. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's probably why my left bumper isn't working anymore. Um, anyway, so let's uh, look. I mean, do we have anything else to say? I feel like we've talked enough here. about it. Let's yeah, get to the dungeon. I mean, dear God. Okay, let's get into part three, which is the dungeon map, which uh, in which we talk about this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. This week's dungeon is the Ocean Temple. Which you might be forgiven for assuming is this game's water temple. Because it sure isn't. Nope. No water. No water anywhere. In the ocean temple. <laughs> we had more water in the ice temple. Yeah. Um, which, it would, just to be clear, is fine. I'm not, like, upset that there's no water in here. It's just, like, it's weird. Yeah, it's, it's kind of strange. Um, so the ocean temple is a vertical dungeon. It's got many floors. Uh, the floors actually have a great deal of repeating layout between them. There's a lot of puzzles that relate to um, things being arranged on one floor. You have to pay attention to that arrangement in order to solve a puzzle on the floor, either directly above or below it. Um, so a lot of note taking happening in this one. Um, in terms of enemies, mostly what we have are chews of various colors and varieties. Mostly we, electric. Yeah, mostly electric. Uh, we've got the yellow chews. We do have some armored red chews. Uh, and then we've got the metal chews, which are invulnerable to regular attacks. Um, the uh, the big new enemy that we have in here are kind of the, the mini boss adjacent enemies, uh, which are called snappers, which look like luchadors and parkas 
Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I was gonna go with Yetis. Okay, they look kind of like Yetis to me. Okay. Are they Ukes? <laughs> I don't. Oh, <laughs> they live. <laughs> they're and back. They're understandably, very angry at us. Yeah, and hiding in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, let's see. Uh, the main item of the ocean temple is the whip and the boss's name is Phytops, which we'll talk about him, it, whatever, a little bit more here in just a minute. Um, okay, Matt, yes. I'm going to let you tee us off here. Talk to me about the ocean temple. I mean, it's f- uh, fine. It was fine. Um, did you do the the rundown of like structure and yeah puzzles and okay cool yeah you, you felt where, where were that. you for that? I mean, I was. You didn't really talk about how it had six floors and yeah, you, I did. I said it was a highly vertical dungeon with puzzles uh, that you? did go oh. between. Yeah, okay. Well, all right. I, I did a whole thing. I guess I, I must have been zoning out. <laughs> anyway, uh, your voice does that to me sometimes, Lyndon. Just oh, zone off into space. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's fair. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, like it's it's fine. Um, you could be one could be forgiven for assuming that the whip is the same as the grapple hook because it is. More can, or less. Uh, can we? Can we? No, it's not. I can't wait on that. Let's oh, get back okay. around to that here in a minute. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. Cool. 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 Um. So I. It was. It was fine. Um. The. The puzzles where you have to like draw on your map to figure out what goes where from top to bottom, bottom to top. Um. It. It's fine once or twice, but there was just a lot of it in this dungeon. Um, the whip mechanics are a little, were a little difficult for me. Like there's the one part where you have to hang on to the little helicopter thing that, um, carries you up to a a platform. And I just, for the life of me could not figure out why I couldn't just hang on to it. Like I kept tapping it and then Link would hook on and let go, hook on and let go, hook on and let go. And it took me way too long to figure out that you just hold it down and then you'll, you'll hold on to it. Um, the swinging mechanic felt a lot clunkier in this game than it did in Phantom Hourglass for some reason. Like, I don't know. Did you, did you feel that way, Lyndon? Like as I was swinging from post to post, it felt clunky. There was something in the timing that isn't completely intuitive. And I, I, I did grasp that as well. I don't want to say that it gave me a ton of trouble. No, it wasn't a ton. It just felt weird. Yeah. Yeah. It felt weird. Um, it, the, the combat was, was fine. Um, I used a lot of boomerang and I used my bombs Mm. on the invulnerable chews. The bombs work. So that's how I blew up the, the invulnerable choose. Um, the, I did like the first fight with the snapper where you have to kind of time it to where when he pulls you in, you slash. Um, that was a fun little, uh, mix up of, of combat mechanics. That was good. Um, yeah, overall, like it was fine. It was definitely, I liked the snow temple more. Um, I, I liked it more than this one. Yeah. For, so for me, the ocean temple was kind of, I definitely enjoyed it more than the first temple. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it more than the forest temple. Um, uh, to me, this kind of felt like one half or two thirds of a temple, right? It seemed like it took me no time at all to get through. It seemed like we were kind of missing an extra level of complexity to it. Um, and I like I don't know like as a, as a, in terms of like a sense of place sort of deal I, I kind of appreciated it I thought that this the the artistic like the aesthetic direction of it was interesting enough but um so let's go ahead and talk about the whip real quick because as a main dungeon item 
I was expecting a lot out of this thing because the grapple was awesome in Phantom Hourglass was awesome. And the dungeon that you got it in gave you like five different ways that you had to use it. They had to learn to use it. And the whip has exactly one use, right? It's it's the exact same sort of item, but it is used exclusively for pulling things towards you and I guess for moving, like grappling swinging. between, swinging between posts, right? Yep. So Which they use way too much, I think. That was my, my yeah, biggest agreed. complaint. There's that room with like, well, there's two rooms with like five or six posts in a row. I had to go back and forth between those like 20 times. And maybe I was being dumb and not solving the puzzle right, but it was still just like, did you really have to make it this annoying just to get between these two rooms that have a puzzle that goes together? <laughs> like, it would have been nice um, if you could have extended a walk bridge the first time you got over it. Yeah, right. And it's like so. It just I, I found swinging with it to be quite clunky. Um, but yeah, it's not at all the grappling hook from Phantom Hourglass. It is a nowhere near as good. Yeah. Um, which which is so weird. It's like, in some ways, you could see this being like if this had been the item that we got in Phantom Hourglass, and then the grapple hook and all of its mechanics are what we got in Spirit Tracks. That would make more sense, right? Yeah, Im- improve and iterate. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's so weird. Like the grapple hook was maybe the coolest item in Phantom Hourglass. I don't remember if I actually ranked it. I think as we such. I think we all ranked it as the coolest item because yeah, okay, it cool. did so much. Um, and the it, like. For several reasons, like the dungeon that you got it in gave you a lot of ways to use it, and then you also continued using it a lot throughout the rest of the game, right? Right. And it was just super versatile. Um, It's wild to me that you would make essentially the same item in this game and give it 10% of that functionality, a quarter of that functionality. It's it's crazy, just crazy to me. Um, I don't know, Josh, like what do you – like how do you feel about this? Because to me, this is kind of indicative of – actually a very weird and and backward sort of thinking in the development of this game no i i agree entirely um like i i recall y'all were talking about the whirlwind and how it kind of just felt like a worse gust jar um and like the second dungeon just gave us the boomerang and it works the same way um as it did in phantom hourglass so we at least got one of the good items but it does just feel like this game in general just has a worse set of items. It almost feels like we got the reject versions and they were just like, well, we already had these concepts. I guess we better use them because we don't want to just give people the same items again and we got to make another DSL to game. <laughs> um, so it's just, it, it does just feel like it feels like half an item compared to the others. Like even the, the whirlwind feels more useful than the whip does, which maybe is not true only because you have to blow to use it. Um, <laughs> like, you can use the whip offensively to stun enemies if you want to, right? Um, there's just not, when when you, all you have to do is tap on things to kill them, there's not a real compelling reason to hit them with the whip. Unless, you know, the, the boss uses the mechanic, I guess. Uh, and, and I guess Unless, the, there I'd is rather, the puzzles. We we are maybe overlooking that you can grab things and throw them, right? The swords in the fish mouths for the puzzles, where you grab an item and you have to fling it across the room, but you can't walk around with it. Like once yeah, you grab something, you have to throw it immediately. And it would have been more interesting or more useful if you if you could just take those swords and carry them around with you and fling them when you wanted it. 
then suddenly the whip seems more interesting as an offensive item, even a sort of a like, what if you could drop a bomb or see a bomb flower and grab the bomb flower and fling it? Um, like you can imagine how it could have been more interesting, and it feels like they either didn't have those ideas or like they ran out of time. I don't know. It just maybe they just maybe this is just the last one they did. Who knows? Um, it's just odd. Um, this is the spot where I think I, I maybe before the show alluded, I had a cool a cool piece of trivia for you. Oh, uh, lay it on us. Did you know that the, the whip here, the, first, this is the first whip in the series, which again, came back in Skyward Sword, right? Um, this is a reference to another Nintendo game. This whip is. Uh, Interesting. It's a, it's a snake. Uh, this is the rope snake. Do you all know what that is? You probably uh, do without realizing fact, it. Aside from the fact that the rope or that the snakes in Zelda games are called ropes, um, I don't think I do. Um, so the rope snake is a grappling hook snake, just like this one, uh, in Mother 3, used by Lucas. Which is why ah. in Smash Brothers, his throw is he has a tether throw with a little red snake. Uh, so the rope ah. snake actually originated with Lucas using it. You use it to like grab onto chandeliers in an old ca- castle to swing across broken floors. Um, and uh, so this is a direct reference to the rope snake. Mm. Uh, it does not extend as like a whip in Mother 3. It's literally just a snake. But... Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this is this is three years after Mother Three came out in Japan, uh, so it was yeah. just the right time for them to have it in development right after Mother Three came out. Mother Three, which has uh, once again found itself in the discourse, so <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> they three. they put it in the Japanese Partner Direct and then didn't put it in the U.S. version, and then dropped the same day here that they're going to give us little Mother One little player avatars for Earthbound Beginnings. Uh, it looks like Japan, they're, they're getting a set of one, two, and three over the next few weeks. So I guess we'll see just how much Nintendo doesn't like us uh, if we get here <laughs> to the end of March or whatever, and they just skip the Lucas and Friends little avatars entirely for the U.S.? <laughs> Yeah, what comes first, an English release of Mother 3 or the heat death of the universe? We'll have to wait and see. Um, uh, Okay, so super interesting bit of trivia. I mean, that's the one thing that I did think was kind of charming about the whip is that it just is like a super goofy-looking snake, right? Yeah. I thought that that was kind of neat. I like that the prongs that attach into, like, to make it hook, like a grapple hook, are the fangs. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Oh. It makes me think of Tim, sharp, pointy teeth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Monty Python. There we go. Uh, no, yeah. So the design of the item is kind of neat enough. But yeah, I don't know. It's just it's a it's a complete misfire. Right. Um, it's completely overshadowed by what we got in Phantom Hourglass. Um, well, and, and, this, and the, the, the sad thing is it wouldn't be a misfire. It would just be kind of a whatever item if it, it wasn't for the fact that the grapple hook was so freaking cool. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but to your point, Josh, I mean, we do have some puzzles in this dungeon that are related to like grappling items, tossing them in different directions, throwing swords into the mouths of statues and stuff like that. And as far as dungeon 
as far as dungeon I or uh, dungeon puzzles go, it's fine, right? Like this is all neat enough. Um, it, it, it it's nowhere near as fun to me as the dual elemental boomerang mechanics were in Snow Temple, right? I mean, it it was it feeling the same way to you, Matt? Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, that's like I said, it's just kind of fine. Eh. Yeah, yeah. This this to me felt like this to me felt like a a lower tier. I don't know, like Link's Awakening or Oracle game dungeon. Yes. Like I feel the same way about this dungeon that I feel about Angler's Tunnel in Link's Awakening. Right? It's like it's not that I it's not that I disliked it. It's, it's not just that it like was kind of there. Yeah. It's not like it's not that it wasn't fun. It just didn't really do anything spectacular by any metric. Um, and that's kind of kind of where I've landed with it. There were one or two interesting puzzles, right? Like the, especially the one on the first floor. I feel like this temple was the most interesting with that first and second floor puzzle that you had to do um, with the both with the four switches where you had to mark which switches to hit in which order, right? Yep. And then also <coughs> excuse me. And then also the puzzle with the boulders where you had to redirect the boulders, mm-hmm. you know? Um that to me was like the most interesting part of this whole thing. Like that that's kind of what taxed my brain power more than anything else. Some of that was just because I wasn't necessarily expecting for the mechanics of boulders a floor up to be influencing what was happening on the first floor, you know? Yes. Um, I was a little confused by it at first. Didn't know what I was hitting the switch for. (laughs) Yeah, Um, because Spirit Track hasn't done anything else like that so far, and so it just kind of felt a little out of the blue. But, I mean, other Zelda games have, so it's like once I had exhausted all my options, then I started thinking about it in kind of broader terms and was like, okay, maybe you have to do this. Like, okay, cool. Makes sense. I'll allow it. Um, And I don't know. I was kind of thinking like that whole interaction had me sort of thinking that this dungeon was going to adopt a more puzzle-forward approach than it actually did. So I think at the end of the day, I was fairly underwhelmed by what we actually got here. I mean, putting aside the whip as an item, Joshua, is this dungeon like just as an experience doing anything for you or? No, by the end of it, I was actually pretty frustrated with it uh, because I was having to go across those silly grappling things over and over and over again. Um, I was trying to I actually couldn't figure out how to get to the boss key. I had missed a doorway or something for a while because you had to go back down. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I missed that key and I couldn't figure out what to do to get the key. Um, and, uh, I had gone back and forth across those dumb things so many times. I was just like, all right, I'm done. The, the big, and I, I agree. The beginning of the dungeon was the best part. Right. And it was like the further I got in, the less I wanted to even do it. (laughs) Um, yeah. And then you get to the boss key. And once again, this game has to be like, you worked really hard to but get wait, here. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Floor masters. Yeah. I got it's, caught it's, twice it's, before I got through it. Like, uh, yeah, I got caught at least that many times. It's literally like those infomercials for um, the super sticky tape and whatnot, where Billy Mays goes, but wait, there's more. And I'm just like, please let there be not more. Less. I got caught. Give me less. <laughs> I got caught or booped off the edge. Five times. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until that last time where I finally realized, don't get distracted by the other ones. Just go straight for the middle one. 
kill him quickly and then go up the and stairs. And then once you're on the stairs, you're good. Yep. Like I ended up killing so. all of them. I basically just set the key down and waited for all of them to come and spin attack at him. And spin attack, spin attack, spin attack, spin attack. Yeah. You're, you're such a badass, Josh. Um, <laughs> well, I was already pissed at that point because I'd been spending three hours trying to get through all that stuff to get to this dungeon. Just like, just let me put the key in the hole. Yeah, you know, another another thing that was really frustrating about this dungeon to me is that, so talking about that last key, I went back through the whole dungeon, right, looking for it, and the amount of times that I thought I was hitting a key chest, but it was just a treasure chest, I can't even count. Like, I think that happened to me three times. Yeah. It was, was very obnoxious. frustrating. Um, so anyway, we finally get that last key, we get the boss key, we unlock the boss room. Uh, we head up to the very top of the temple. Uh, the temple does this same thing that a lot of dungeons in both Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks have liked to do, which is you can you've seen you've been looking at the boss arena the whole time, yep. right? Like um, when you were out on the on the tracks and you were riding around and you could see the exposed portion of the Ocean Temple, you were looking at the boss arena. Yep. Cool. Neat thing in and of itself. Always going to like that. Um, the boss's name is Phytops. Did you almost die getting to the boss arena, though? Yeah. Same. Yeah. I almost died. I had to use my red potion. It's something about the forced angle. Yeah, so. I didn't like it. I, I had a very hard time with it. Yeah. Um, and, and that is one thing where it's like, I, I appreciate that both Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks occasionally are comfortable, like, putting you in different camera angle situations for the purposes of like a set piece, you know, I don't hate that in and of itself. I think it's fine. It can be done really well. Sometimes depending on what the camera angle is, um, it can feel very unintuitive and it can cause me to be making very clumsy mistakes in my movement. It it doesn't work well on curved surfaces. In my opinion, I think that's really where it has a hard time. Like when you're trying to ascend in a curvature, it's, it's hard to judge the distance between where you are and where the edge is and where the wall is. And like, it's, it's just not, um, easy to use. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, once we finally, once that's all finally said and done, uh, we get up to the main boss arena and, uh, you know, actually the process of getting up to the arena reminded me of the, um, crap, not the Aeroflos. What was the name of the boss in, um, the city in the sky in Twilight yeah, Princess? Aeroflos. No, the Aeroflos were the mini bosses. Oh, uh, you're right. talking about the Ar- dragon Ar-Garak. guy? Argorok. Argorok. Yeah. The process of getting up to the Argorok, like main yeah, arena. That's, you know, that's fair. Kind of yeah, similar yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so once we get up there, we've got Phytops, who turns out the the little barbed tentacles that we've been seeing all throughout the dungeon, I guess have been just extensions of of Phytops, which is kind of like a fauna enemy. Um in the in the immortal words of uh Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh this is one ugly motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, predator reference. We haven't had one of those yeah. ever, I don't think. <laughs> Been a minute. Um Yeah, this dude is gross looking. Yeah, uh, he's like- nasty. <laughs> it's like it's like Bellum if Bellum grew a bunch of tumors and was purple instead of yellow. Yeah, yeah it's like if you if you mixed Baronade with a Venus flytrap, then that's what it would be. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Like, it like does Baronade like while Baronade is dying. To some extent. It does feel uh, like that. And honestly, yeah. some of his mechanics are pretty similar with the tentacles flopping on the ground and shooting out the poison splooshes. Like, yeah, that's all very Bellamy. Yeah. As a boss fight, this is fun enough. Um, it, it's definitely a clear step down from Froz, right? Where mm-hmm. Froz had like an, escal- an escalation of difficulty throughout the fight. 
Um, this felt like all one phase to me. Yeah, I mean, you didn't there, notice there's, the there's, two there's, additional tentacles. <laughs> Uh, there can't, were, yeah. can't say that I did. So at the beginning, Matt, there were two tentacles, and at the end, there were four, four whole tentacles. Yeah. Oh my god! Crazy, mind um, blown. <laughs> and it's so it's like you know with, with frauds. You mentioned last week, Matt, that you were just a little disappointed that that fight didn't have a split perspective or like a, yes. a, a, an interesting use of the top and bottom screen correct right? yes but i could forgive that with the Froz boss fight because yeah. it was a fun boss fight correct with a banger soundtrack yes right uh Phytops is not a fun boss fight and doesn't have a banger soundtrack and so and its use of split perspective is negligible is to zero. yeah negligible yeah. to not important to could totally ignore it and do fine. Yeah, I just don't get it. Like again, talking about things that Phantom Hourglass like some of the things that we enjoyed the most about it that I think objectively were the most interesting about Phantom Hourglass are things that Spirit Tracks just doesn't seem interested in. Uh all of that time and energy went to finding <laughs> new and less interesting ways to use the microphone (laughs) (laughs) and keep and keep you from reaching your next dungeon like it's it's so interesting to me that it feels like spirit tracks took all the feedback about phantom hourglass about things that people didn't really like about it and they said we're gonna make some of them better we're gonna give you more interesting music we're gonna make the graphics moderately better we're gonna make the touch controls a little bit more responsive we're gonna uh you know try to do things just a little bit differently with temple of the ocean king we're gonna get rid of all the stuff you hated about it make something new that's similar but not horrible um but everything that you liked about phantom hourglass we're gonna dial that back 50 percent. and i'm like why would you do that why don't you keep the things that everyone liked about phantom hourglass make the iterative improvements at the same time because it feels like they just decided to not do that and i don't get it or the alternative is they got all their good ideas out in phantom hourglass yeah. and then didn't exactly know what to do here that, that's how it feels to me. It's like people talk about, especially when remake discussion comes up, right? It's like they can remake the Wind Waker and they can give us all the cut content, right? A lot of times that cut content wasn't good and that's why it was cut. But also cut content gets put into, <laughs> it gets put into other Zelda games, right? Just, you know, we had an idea for a dungeon and we couldn't use it in the Wind Waker, so we'll use it in Twilight Princess instead, Right. This is what that feels like to me. It's like they had concepts for several more dungeons, but they were the rejected ones. And so we got the rejected dungeon concepts in the sequel. <laughs> and the rejected items and the rejected bosses. That's that's a fair take, honestly. I hadn't yeah, thought about it that way, but it that, does, you're kind of right. That's how it feels. It does it's feel like, unfortunately like that. They're not like terrible, right? They're still Nintendo quality recognizable as a Zelda dungeon, right? It's not like it's the worst thing I ever played or anything, right? But it's just a significant downgrade from the previous version. Yeah. You know what I think, Matt? What do you think, Lyndon? I think Zelda 2 might be better than Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Track. I told you! I told you when we ranked and recapped them, that's what I said! And I stand by it, damn it! <laughs> I regret so much. Um, <laughs> See, I already know the truth to Zelda Two. Stand by it. Yeah, much, much yeah, Josh. We know. We know. We know. We are. We're aware. Um, 
We know. Oh, man. Okay. Because That's, the main question there, there, and I'm, I'm going on a tangent for two seconds. The main question there, because it comes down to we don't like any of those games. Which one are you more likely to replay and which one has more historic importance on the series? It is unquestionably Zelda 2. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well. Yeah. When you're right, you're right, Matt. Um, anyway, look, so f- the five tops boss fight. Here's the thing. It's not spectacular. It's not. I wouldn't even say it's necessarily good. It is, if nothing else, an interesting take on the whole. So lots of Zelda games have got the boss fight where you've got to bust the eyes around the eye. Right. Yep. Like you've got to hook shot the eyes off, you know, or hit them or whatever. Um, and this is a similar kind of thing. It just doesn't do it the exact same way. And I've got to give it some points for that. Right. Because like a lot of Zelda games, especially the top down ones. Well, actually that's not true that I, I feel like the remove the eyes from the center entity. is more prevalent in top down Zeldas than anywhere else. No, I, I feel like it actually, well, yeah, sure. But you've also, you get it in Twilight Princess and you get it in Majora's Mask, right? Like it sure. happens in. It, it's prevalent in all Zelda games. Yeah. Let's put it it's, that way. It yeah, crosses sure. all boundaries, right? <laughs> so, um, unlike Moldorm. <laughs> yeah, Which was, is only, I would love to see Moldorm in 3D. The I would closest love to we see ever got, if you recall, is Puppet Ganon at the end of The Wind Waker briefly. Right. Oh, yeah. True, true, true. Yep, that is true. But yeah, I'd love uh, to see so that. So anyway. Right. Yeah, that'd be great. But anyway, so I, I've got to get this. I've, I've got to give this fight some points just for doing this kind of boss fight a little bit differently than it, than it normally does. Um, that's about the only nice thing that I have to say about it. So, this boss reminds it's not me of difficult. Tentalus. Ah, interesting. I can see that. The thing is, the Tentalus fight has got that extra like atmosphere going on. Sure. It, it, it's like it's got the storm. It's got multiple phases. And also with the Tentalus fight, you've got that crazy like rush to get out of the sinking sand ship, you know, which is well, and that cool. came out two years after this, too. So it just it's like Tentalus is a significant improvement over this fight. And Tentalus yeah. isn't like a spectacular fight in itself. Right. It, but it's better than this one. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. No doubt. No doubt. Um, all right. I mean, anything else we want to say about the Ocean Temple before we move on? <laughs> No, Meh. cool, nada, cool. Didn't think so. Um, uh, actually, just one last thing. Give me something cooler to do with uh, with throwing swords, like the whole whipping a sword <laughs> and then throwing it. Like that sounds like it could be such a cool mechanic. Um, and all you do is throw it into the mouths of fishes and occasionally kill a metal chew. Yeah, right? they but kill like, metal. I want to throw more swords. Yeah. So anyway, meh. Okay. Huh, the Ocean Temple. You were so mid. You were so mid, I can't so see mid. straight. All right. Let's get into part four, which is Bloopy Trails, where we talk about interesting things that diverted our attention this week. I'm going to go first here um, because I don't have that much. Like, I, I caught some bunnies, right? <laughs> Bony. And I stamped some stamps. I finally figured out what reward you get for doing the stamp book. The antique shield. Yes. Which I, I kind of want. I do, which I want, and I will pro- – look, you only need 10 stamps in your book to get it, and I think I already have four. So at this point, I'll probably just try and get it. Um, so the antique shield is the exact shield that you had in uh, Phantom Hourglass, and the benefit that it has is that like-likes can't swallow it in Spirit Tracks. So that's that's cool. You know what? I'll, I'll go and try to get the shrimp shield. 
Um, <laughs> I still think that the Spirit Tracks one looks a little cooler, but whatever. Um, so anyway, uh, did all those things, got some stamps, got some bunnies. Um, but yeah, I mean, my main thing is that as far as side quests are concerned, I'm not sure if this game has a lot of them and I'm just not finding them or if it's just a game that doesn't really do side quests as much. Um, either way, I'm not finding them and I'm missing them. So like I, I'm, I'm missing that as a component of this game. Uh, Phantom Hourglass was kind of samey as well. Like I, I didn't feel like Phantom Hourglass had a whole lot of blue betrayal <laughs> stuff going on. Um, and I feel like this game has even less so far and it's uh, it's definitely hurting it. It's hurting my overall experience. You know why, right Lyndon? Why? It's because there's no overworld exploration to be had. Yeah, but there are towns and stuff. I don't know. Josh, am I? Towns is a very generous way yeah, of I describing. Know. Josh, is there like a is there a lot here that I'm just not like finding? There's not. Or what's the deal? There's not a lot. Um, first, I completely forgot that the it's actually I had to look this up. It's actually officially called the Shield of Antiquity, but. I forgot that existed. <laughs> I don't remember if I've ever gotten it, or maybe I got it the first time I played never again. <laughs> so that's actually a kind of a neat reward for very little effort, all things considered. Um, but so your your side quests are the stamps, which you already know, the bunnies, and then force gems, which were actually just introduced this week when Carbon gave you the force gem for escorting him. Um, the unfortunate news is that I think most or all of the force gyms are related to train escort adjacent things. Maybe not, maybe not every single one of them. Um, but yeah, like there, there is a whole lot more in this game you can get into of taking people from place to place or like hauling some kind of material that someone needs from place to place. But it is just more train gameplay, right? And it might, this might be a, you got to follow the signs. Maybe there's a time limit. Maybe you have to dodge a million of those stupid bomb trains along the way. Like that's what you're looking at. But otherwise the, the less frustrating kind of fun side quests are the stamps that kind of reward you for exploring a little bit part of the time and the bunnies, which I can take it or leave it, but you know, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Bunnies. Okay. Well, I'm glad to know that there's, I'm glad to know that I just haven't been completely missing tons and tons of optional side quest material. Um, because that would have been frustrating, but like, at least I, if there was anything interesting to find there, maybe I would have gone back and tried to track it down. But look, I'm all for adding new sections of rail and whatnot. That sounds fun. Um, I'm not out here to spend another four hours of this game in a train just to make it happen. So I probably won't be interacting with that much, which is a shame because one of the, one of the things that I think top down Zelda's actually typically do very well is their side quest material, right? Yeah. Like Link's awakening was a pioneer in this area and Minish cap was a very, like a, was very strong in this as well. Um, and it's one of the it's one of the ways that you can make a top down Zelda game feel a lot bigger than it actually is, right? Like if you do it well, um, you can spend a lot more time and find a lot more depth in a top down Zelda world by virtue of its side quest material if it's done well. Um, and so, you know, when you choose to spend your time focusing on artificial buffers that create extra time spent 
in traversal between dungeons rather than that sort of thing, then I think that that's a problem. But anyway, um, so yeah. And oh, and in terms of the ocean bunnies, can we just talk about like, are they magic? Like, do they run on the surface of the water? Like, I don't understand. They're like water striders, Lyndon. They use the surface tension and they just kind of glide over it. Okay. That's what I'm going with. Neat. Well, I have like two regular bunnies and like seven ocean bunnies. So, yeah. Yeah, same. I I accidentally caught a lot of these guys, mostly because I accidentally blew up the barrels they were on without realizing they were in there. And then I was like, I can get this mini game over faster if I just catch them. Well, and you can't, I mean, you, (laughs) you can't leave that bunny homeless is the thing. That's true. I did feel bad about blowing up his barrel. Yeah. So poor bunny. Um, Yeah. I was going to add on the, uh, on the uh, topic of the force gem stuff, the force gems might be a little useful if you like the train stuff at all. Maybe someone listening does because they unlock more tracks. Like, so you might get a shortcut or I don't know if any of them actually unlock like a new area, like a real new area. Uh, maybe you need maybe you need to do them to get some of the bunnies or something, or like the bunny is off on an area of the track you don't have, but you get like more rail to ride on by doing. So the here's bunnies. the ma- here's the math that I'm trying to do in my head, Josh. Will I save more time by adding a new piece of rail to the map than uh, you know, like as opposed to the time that I'll lose by ferrying a person from a town to another town to unlock that section of rail, you know? No, I, I doubt it. Uh, it's more of a, <laughs> you know, it's a it's a matter of, are you trying to get all the things? Because just like Phantom Hourglass had all those boat parts, you can customize your train here. So it's like, if you want to get all the different train parts and customize your train and, you know, like there there is stuff to do here if it's something you're actually enjoying, right? It's just that for a lot of this, it feels like the average player doesn't enjoy the train traversal that much. Sure. Uh, yeah. Maybe some of the other um, folks coming on in the next few weeks will disagree and say that it's all incredible. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be sure to ask Connor and Sam what they think about it, but uh, yeah. And, and to that uh, same token, I'm the same way that I didn't interact at all with boat customization in Phantom Hourglass. I will similarly not be worrying myself even a little bit about upgrading my train in Spirit Tracks. So, Amen. Anyway, uh, Matt, what was your Bloopy Trail situation this week? I mean, I did pretty much the same thing. The other, the only things I went back to the knock them down just to see if I got another level um, from completing a temple. Spoiler alert: you don't. So I just did the uh, the knock them down round one again, which was kind of annoying. Um, but I got a lot of rupees and a, and a treasure piece out of it. So whatever. Uh, I also went and found beetles air shop. So oh, I, I did that. I, did I that bought too. the bombs, bought yep. the bomb bag. Yep. Um, man, tracking down his shop is such a so pain in the butt. annoying, dude. Yeah. It's so annoying. Uh, yeah, that, that's just pretty much it. Okay. Yeah. Josh, how about you? The entire section between the second dungeon and the third dungeon is a big bloopy trail. <laughs> Um, like I said I didn't even go back to find myself another shield I was worried that by not getting the bomb bag I might be messing up and that maybe I needed to go get it and then I didn't actually need it for anything Um, so no I I did not spend a single extra minute doing anything I didn't even catch a bunny (laughs) 
So sounds right to me. Yeah, no, for sure. I like, I get it. Right. Like why, like you only take the time out of your play session to track these things down and do them. If you're enjoying your time in the world at base. Right. Um, and if you're just, if you're struggling to even get through the, the necessary stuff, then why would you, you know? So, um, but like I said, I'm a sucker for bunnies, so I'm down to <laughs> I'm down to rehome some bunnies. All right, I'll do that much. There you go. All right. Okay, let's go ahead and get into part five, which is Z targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. Um, Matt, I'll let you go first. Yeah, I'm going to do uh, Cabin. Carbon. 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 The uh, Locomo. The dude's just chilling with the birds, man. He just wants to escape this mortal plane and fly in the air and just leave his troubles behind. And man, do I relate to that. Do I want to escape this game and fly with the birds and not worry about spirit mm-hmm. tracks ever again? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, yeah. <laughs> My man Carbon knows what he's doing. Oh, I- you have a way with words, Matt. You're such a poet. I try. He's a poet and didn't even know it. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, it's got to be, for me, it's got to be lineback three, right? Uh, yeah, Line, I mean, yeah. Lineback the third. Um, it's so weird because I didn't like Phantom Hourglass, but somehow this dude sauntering into his shop gave me some nostalgia for Phantom Hourglass. I didn't know that it was possible for me to have nostalgia for a game that I didn't enjoy and played for the first time earlier, or I guess last year, right? Sure. Um, but hey, there I was. Uh, it it worked for me. Um, so I, I have to give it points for that. And yeah, I mean, just like, look, this character model is fun. Uh, I know there's technically separate characters but his personality is the exact same as old linebeck and you get the music that accompanies the whole thing so um all of that together makes for a pretty easy z targeting how about you josh uh i will give it to uh the entrepreneur uh the wise one uh who found a way to make using the microphone even worse (laughs) (laughs) hey josh what's your sign uh something (laughs) (laughs) well that's funny because matt's is what was it fuck fuck this this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, i mean i'm a taurus but whatever (laughs) um, i i I will give it an honorable mention also to fuku did either of you meet Fuku, the little girl? No. Who you also have to tell oh, the, her. Oh, yes. The, the one who asked you if she's I told cute her, or not. I told her she was cute, and she told me that I didn't tell her she was cute. I don't yeah. know what I did wrong. <laughs> See, I, I, said, I said, are you joking? And she said, oh, thank you. Uh, so I assumed that she took that to mean cute, and I was like, okay. Yeah, I also said something to her. <laughs> so... Oh, God. Microphone entrepreneurs living in Papuchia Village. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, um, I'm just tired, man. I'm just tired. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, okay. Hey, we still have more than half of this game to go, Lyndon. Yeah, but no more songs left to discover. Like, as of this week, the entire available space on your collection screen devoted to songs is now filled oh really yeah oh, cool. so i should probably check that anyway um all right well that brings us to part six which is a z no that brings us to part six which is our final thoughts in which we let matt wrap up the section of the game in as succinct a way as he can think to do 
Uh, so we start this section of game off back at the Tower of Spirits where we get to uh, enjoy some time, enjoy being a strong word, uh, enjoy some time with uh, Phantom Zelda again, do some puzzles with darkness and ghosties and make our way to find another rail map. We then spend entirely too long trying to get to our next dungeon, doing lots of busy work and stupid crap that no one wants to do, uh, dealing with very difficult people, but meeting the wonderful Lineback 3, who we are very happy to see. Um, moving on to Papuchia Village and uh, our friend Carbon and all of that nonsense related, uh, exploring the ocean realm with its ridiculous mechanics of trying to open up the way to the temple into the underwater section with the horrible uh, armored train into a aggressively mid dungeon in the ocean temple with a boss fight that is also aggressively mid and makes no use of the fun things about the DS games uh, that we enjoy. So overall, just a really meh section of game. I guess we're sort of looking forward to the next section. I'm certainly looking forward to Majora's Mask and or the Oracle games. <laughs> and or Ocarina of Time Redux. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Can't wait to do some of those things. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's all uphill from here, Lyndon. Well done as always, Matt. <laughs> That's very oh, depressing. Oh, jeez. It uh, might go downhill some more first. <laughs> I mean, okay, fair enough. It's it's all only right. uphill once we're done with this game. Yeah, I can survive anything for three weeks, so that's fine. That's um, yeah. Uh, Josh, thank you for joining us on this standout episode of Sacred Realms of Zelda <laughs> Retrospective Podcast. <laughs> oh, Yikes. man. Um, yeah, thank you for commiserating with us. Uh, in, thank you for, for reveling in the mediocrity. Um, it's... It was sure something. Certainly uh, there. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, def- definitely, definitely something. something. Um, so, I, actually, tell me this, Josh. Do you, do you feel like there are any moments of note, any bright spots, anything that you can think of that take place for the rest of Spirit Tracks that in your mind you're like, yeah, that was really cool and you should look forward to it? <laughs> sure. Yeah, like it's it's I I have a little bit of trouble because I mix up like which bosses are in which of these two games. <laughs> um so I was actually just I was just looking at some of the official artwork and such and uh trying to figure out uh yeah, so there 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 is an item, there is one item, maybe only one, but there's one item for sure. I think we'll have some cool dis- cool discussion around uh and maybe a boss fight or two that are a little more standout. Um, and there's still some story stuff, right? Like there, like we have you haven't dealt with Cole, or or what happened to Burn. There's you know, there's leftover story to do. Um, I don't recall. I recall maybe one other section in between things that I really don't like. Um. And like I said, like I, I really don't like the Tower of Spirits. Like I, I will be listening eagerly to see if if your opinion changes over the next few weeks on the Tower of Spirits. Uh, 
because I, I really don't like it. Uh, but I think that generally speaking, the end of the game is pretty solid. Um, like, uh, so like, I, I'll say that I, I like the final boss fight for the most part. Okay. Cool. Um, and so I, I think there's, there's still some good moments. I don't think the whole game is just a drop off a cliff kind of bad. <laughs> Uh, but there's some there's some first left over. I'll just leave it at that. Well, I guess I'll I, I guess I'll keep a tiny little candle lit for the remainder of Spirit Tracks. And also, Matt, again, like we said earlier in the episode, uh, the promise is that we're going to have two people on the show in the next two weeks who allegedly have positive feelings about this game. Hey, at so. least someone does. So we'll see what they have to say. Should be fun. Regardless, it's always fun talking to you, Josh. And um, again, look, this was a pretty short season, so we're not going to be able to have you on again before we finish Spirit Tracks. But uh, that's okay because you probably (laughs) you probably didn't want to come on for more anyway. So it's all good. Um, But we will, of course, have you back on the show at some future point. We have a lot of really fun things left to do before we wrap up the current slate um, as we've got it planned out. So um, that's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, Will you go ahead and remind everyone where they can follow you, Josh, before we get out of here? So you can find all my work at ZeldaUniverse.net, of course. Uh, And then if you'd like to follow along with my video game opinions, you can follow me on threads and Instagram. I am Watcher Joshua. Very nice. Definitely recommend you go do that. And I say this every time we have someone from Zelda Universe on the show, but definitely go follow Zelda Universe on all their channels. Um, keep it locked to that site. It's a great resource. And they're a wonderful partner to us, and we appreciate them a lot. So, But regardless, has been a really, really fun time, Josh. Great episode, and we will catch up with you soon. Yep. Thanks for having me. Uh, yep. All right, Matt. Are you ready to get out of here? And to start this whole cycle over again for another seven days. I'm ready to get out of here and procrastinate playing spirit tracks until I absolutely have to. Yes. You know what we have coming up soon? Other than my wedding? Uh, Sooner than that. Oh. No, what? Well, actually, several really cool things. Well, yeah, there's Dune Part 2. Dune there's Formula two. 1 season coming out. There's Formula uh, 1. Yep. Drive to Survive. Uh, there's a lot of cool things happening. Yeah, the Bahrain Grand Prix is next weekend. We've got yeah. Dune 2. We're going to do those in the same weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to be a good weekend. A ton of fun. Oh, I've missed Formula 1. It's only been gone for like two and a half months. I know. It's a, the shortest off-season of any sport. I'm not complaining. No, not at all. Yeah, but also Dune, man. Like Dune Part 2. The reviews so are crazy. My hype is like off the charts right yeah, now. I'm I can't s- even I'm handle so it. I'm so stoked. Yeah. So psyched. I started to say stoked and psyched at the same time, and it came out stiked. <laughs> not a thing. <laughs> hey, you know what, Matt? I too am stiked to but, see Dune. All right, there you go. It's like it's, it's like the Brooklyn Nine Nine meme. Bean pot. Yeah. No, that's 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 what I'm feeling right now. Yeah. We're going with it. Oh, I'm gonna piggies back off of your point about being <laughs> yes. stiked. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Cool. You're a legend. I try. All right, y'all, if you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it's not a problem. Five-star Apple Podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at sacredrealmspod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday to talk about our thoughts about Spirit Tracks Chapter 4. Spirit Tracks is unfortunately only playable 
in two places, one of which is in its original cartridge format on either the Nintendo DS or the Nintendo 3DS, and the other is on the Nintendo Wii U, assuming that you managed to buy it from the virtual console service before that was shut down. Sorry about that. We wish it was playable in more places. Or maybe we don't. I was about to say, do we though? Who can say? But in the meantime, may your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We'll catch y'all next week. Sacred Realms is an independent, listener-supported podcast, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Business operations are handled by Matt Willoughby. Our music is generously provided by Darknuck and is available to listen to on Spotify. Finally, we'd like to thank Nintendo for continuing to create such exceptional and innovative experiences. 